So taking the ball out of bounds is Brown. And they put it in Staten's hands. Clock winding down. Staten attacks. Let's have yes. Yes. Staten puts him out. There's long pass. Ellis on the red layup. Tap. No. No. West Virginia upsets the Jayhawks. They charge the floor. Easily, Don, easily one of my least favorite cliches is the old, oh, life isn't fair. Okay. You know, it's one of those things that older people say to younger people that pisses them off. Like, I think another example is, wait until you get out into the real world. You know, yeah, you just want to smack people when they say shit like that to I, you. I have kids, and I make a conscious effort to never say anything along the lines of wait until you have kids, because like everyone's experience could be totally different so the did i say the one that annoys me yeah uh life isn't fair right sure but what i've grown to realize in adulthood and uh life is that these things become cliches uh because people say them a lot because they tend to be true and i see this not as like a whine because i can tend to whine occasionally <laughs> on the show but uh I was just enjoying a lazy Sunday night the other day when I got a text message from the first lady's cousin. Oh, I know where this is going. That was simply a picture of her and her husband at the NBA All-Star Game sitting next to Jeff Amen from Pearl Jam. Like, he was in his seat and they were in their seats. Correct. My... Right. uh how do you explain a relationship like this? I suppose they're just my cousins now, right? I mean, uh, Becky is my wife's first cousin. We're married, so she's my cousin-in-law, and she's married sure. to a guy, and I guess that makes him my cousin-in-law as well, right? Sure. And Josh is a great dude. Love yeah, him. Never met him. At you know, he's I like, must have met him at the wedding. He's one of those guys that when you got to go to a family gathering that maybe you're not super excited about, you're like, well, Josh will be there, and that's cool. Okay. You know, we can talk. And he works for New Era. Which is a oh, huge, cool. uh, you know, cat hat company that's based in Buffalo. Does, and, he, uh, does he who got like when you have yeah, prizes for the party, well, party yeah, and, stuff? yeah, and uh, he he works for them, and uh, he used to work for the golf part of it. Okay, yeah, you know, so he would travel to the U.S. Open and things like that, and he recently, I guess, got a promotion or a different job in basketball. So this was one of his first big events for that job was to be down there doing whatever it is. Oh, so he was there with work. He, he does. Yeah. So he was there for oh, work. That's and awesome. Because of the timing of it, oh, with schools being off this week, Becky was a teacher in Buffalo. She went down and joined him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I can't wait to talk to her about it because it's obvious that they didn't know who he was. Yeah. That's my thought. If, yeah. Because most people wouldn't. I think you'd have to be a pretty... You can't even be a casual Pearl Jam fan, I wouldn't say. And she had texted Tammy earlier in the night saying, oh, we're right by Rihanna and you know some other people, okay. Spike Lee, whoever else they were sort of near. you know. And, uh, and then it was later that I got this, this tweet. And, you know, 
she she said to me, she said, well, he's such a nice guy. He's really down to earth. That didn't surprise me. She said, I told him you're a big fan, which I thought was a total undersell. Like, I hope she didn't <laughs> say to him, like, yeah, my cousin is a big fan because, I mean, that doesn't describe it adequately. So I hope she said more than that. Uh, but um, And she said he was real into us taking a picture and sending it. To, to, you. to you. Okay. Well, I said, well, you should get him real into uh, coming on the podcast. <laughs> and I – look it. And I'm not upset at Becky about this, but I guarantee she didn't say anything. Okay. You know, she, you, you, she just didn't. I know she didn't. And I understand. You know, Josh is there representing his work. You don't want to come off as hounding someone that's right. sitting next to you when you're in company seats. and. You know, and she, she her response to me was, oh, he went to talk to someone else. When he gets back, I'll tell him. And I just never heard another word from Where her. was it? MSG. Okay. That's cool. Like Jeff's traveling to see this. I know he's into basketball. He might have been in the celebrity game the day before. He's been in it in the oh, past. Okay. And he's a huge NBA fan. Yeah. You know. Did you watch any of the celebrity game? No. I heard it's entertaining. No, I didn't see a second of anything at the NBA All Star. I've game. liked the MTV stuff in the past. They used to do like the Rock and Jock softball and the Rock and Jock right. B-ball stuff. Yeah. I, I used to like that, but yeah, and no, I, I didn't, I didn't see any of it. But I don't know. I I just look at it. It's nothing against her or anything. It just comes off as sort of unfair in a way, <laughs> just like in a universal sense. You know what? Actually, I was driving over here and I was thinking of this exact thing, and I was thinking. It seems random that somebody else would meet him, like a guy that you're into, but it's probably actually less random. Like, the only reason that you would be more likely to see him is because you're at more shows and stuff like that. So you're you're in areas he is more often than she is. But it's because way more I, likely that somebody that doesn't care about him runs into him. Because like, well, maybe I mean, how many people would you really be psyched to run into? This is how it goes. Ten, twenty in the world. So, I mean, this is how it goes, right? I mean, this isn't the first time. Where someone, like, it's nothing against your wife or Matt's wife, who's another person we travel to. But, you know, it comes off as annoying to me when, you know, I've been to 40 shows in you or Matt's 10 club seats. And Matt's are always really good. Yours are never that good. And then, like, always at, like, the next show after on one of those runs, suddenly you guys win the lottery are in the front row with your wives. <laughs> You yeah. know, and that's just incredibly annoying and unfair. It's not because yeah, I won it twice. Yeah, and both times with Michelle. Yes, she right? and both, both times, times yep. she never said, "Hey, want to come to the front row for a song <laughs> or two or part of it?" Never, and that's annoying. I will say that very openly, and it's not because, and it's not even because, um, it's really annoying with uh, with Matt's wife. I think because. Well, no, it's equal. It's equal. I'm not going to put any any more or less on either of them. I guess in comparison, if Savage Garden played a, a huge show at uh, the HSBC Arena and I went uh, down. Savage Garden, huh? Yeah, isn't that them? Isn't that the band your wife likes a lot? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Savage Garden sang that like truly, madly, deeply Who's song, the right? band I'm thinking of then? She has their CDs. She loves them. I, I don't know. She wants to play them when we're over playing board games. She's in a pink She's into snow something maybe snow patrol. Is she's that who I'm snow thinking patrol. of? Yeah, she likes them. I don't know, pink anything she likes or whatever. And I won some kind of lottery somehow. 
the first thing I would think about was the people that were there who liked them more and how they could <laughs> share in the experience. And other people just don't think that way. And again, I'm not complaining per se about it. It's just that they're just other examples of like, I've spent a huge portion of my life, um, my adult life dedicated to being passionate about these people's work. And it just always seems like these moments are happening for people around me, never me. Now, the flip side of that is your brother and I were blessed with an amazing opportunity to meet Mike McCready from the band and spend a really good amount of time standing there almost alone with him and talking to him before a crowd started to build and talk with him as well. And then ultimately he walked away. That happened in Detroit in 2006. Don's brother and I drove up for the show. Don couldn't go to that one. Not sure It was right after why. another show, wasn't it? Yeah, we had just went to a few. It was almost sort of an added on one that Josh and I were like, right. fuck it, let's just go was off. Maybe Pittsburgh, Cincinnati? Was it 2000? Uh, well, that was the end of that tour. Okay. Those were the last two. That was like the, the last leg. So it was earlier. Like That was like in June, and this was like in the, you know, Little September bit. or okay. something, you know? So, like, we, we had went to the two Toronto shows to start the whole run that right. year. You know, and these, that Pittsburgh and Cincinnati were at the end of the run. But uh, Josh and I had went, and we were just walking around sort of lost at the arena and ended up in the back of it, and Mike McCready was literally standing there. So it's not like things have never happened. And also, when I traveled to Seattle in 2003, I ended inches away from Eddie Vedder and totally ruined that experience. <laughs> I think I've told the, 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 the elevator story the elevator story before. So it's not like these things never happen to you. It's just that when they happen to other people, it can be frustrating. It, I, yeah. What was your reaction besides somehow not knowing the person in the photo was someone you stood up in a wedding with about four months ago? <laughs> I knew I recognized her. I couldn't think of from – I couldn't pinpoint where. Um I don't know. Some people just are in those situations more. Like I would have to run into him in a situation like you and Josh did, like outside of a stadium or something, because I'm not at MSG that often, and I'm not at basketball games. And I always like kind of daydream about it. Like, boy, I wonder what the guys are doing today because we're there the day before a concert or something like that, and what are they doing around this town? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe they just stay in their tour bus because I'm sure they're sweet or whatever, and Maybe they go see the sites. Well, they have hotels in the cities. I mean, beautiful five-star hotels. Sure. I mean, this is a band that travels very well. Right. You yeah. Know, they, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I daydream more about bumping them in, bumping into them like a diner type scenario. I, I don't know what I would do. I've never really run into anybody famous. Me neither. That I can think of. So, yeah, Anyway, I don't, I don't mean to say anything negative about Becky or Michelle or Michelle. Or anything like that. And I don't think any of them have done anything wrong ever in the past either. It's not that. Um, and there was absolutely nothing Becky could have done, really. I don't think any of them are going to hear this anyway. No. But, <laughs> it, but that doesn't mean you want to disparage them. You know, I don't any. I don't. You know, ever feel good. I think it seems saying to anything that, bad about your Michelle, especially because I mean she's someone I love, literally. I think it seems to happen that way, maybe because if it happened to someone that really cared you wouldn't probably think twice about it. Like if when, before they went to the lottery system, there was some big heavy set dude that was always in the front yeah, row. Yeah. We called him was, front row guy. Yeah. He yeah. was just front row guy. So mm-hmm. if he won a lottery, he almost wouldn't even seem out of place. But when it's someone that like, I think that's why they do it. Maybe it's just, well, they did it to get other people a chance yeah, to yeah. be up front. So if you're going to go by seniority forever, it's always going to be the same people. 
Right. And I think the arguments against why seniority was fair, unfair finally got to them in the sense that not everyone was 20 in 1991. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could almost argue that for being against, like, I know, like you said, you, it can come off as whiny or whatever, but, like, that's almost like saying, like, I'm a bigger fan, I deserve it more type thing. But, uh, I remember Josh and my brother and your buddy having that argument, and it was essentially that argument. Josh was like, I could not have bought 10 when it came out because I was one years old or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a funny area. That's kind of, uh, you get a weird, like, fanboy ownership thing and you get it over niche things more than their niche things more than that like if people are really into like board games or a video game and then like it gets real popular people are like oh i was here first you know and it's it's a weird thing you should just want your Uh, i feel that way about fantasy football yeah the more popular it's gotten over the years the less interested in it i am huh see i don't i don't it doesn't change for me i wish pearl jam was the biggest fan in the world still it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would. I guess it would affect me, and that it'd be even harder to get tickets than it is. That's already. the only thing. Yeah. I always root for their success. It's just. But like board games are kind of a niche hobby still. If they got super popular, I'd be pumped. It'd be easier to find them in stores, and I'd have more people to play with, and whatever. Are you playing a computer game right now? No, I'm just bouncing back and forth. Oh, I was gonna say, wow, we would really have to look at your <laughs> computer addiction. Um, yeah, but no. Uh, episode five. Or season five, episode six, February eighteenth, two thousand and fifteen. It seems like we can't start the show anymore without me whining about something. I'm sure I'm going to start getting. Wow, Steve, you're turning in quite the whiner email soon. (laughs) Uh, But um, I thought that was an interesting way to start to start the podcast. And uh, this is what we got today. We have what we like to refer to on the show as a fluid situation. Yeah, that's probably that's a broken record. Yeah, we have um, many. This time it's too many guests almost. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, a lot of ideas about what might be on this show and what might end up being on next week's show. Uh, and I know as we record this on Tuesday that Pete Weber, uh, the play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators, will be on uh, to talk about the first place Nashville Predators uh, and what is going on in the Western Conference, who they might match up with well, why a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in the last two years is suddenly one of the top teams in the Western Conference. Well, we'll talk to him about Flip Forsberg and Shea Weber and Seth Jones and all. What kind, what, I was really especially curious to ask him, what does Nashville think of this team? It's not a traditional market, right? I mean, it's easy to expect when the Sabres are a top team that Buffalo is batshit over it. Oh, yeah. But what is Nashville like right now? And also, uh, Mr. Weber is a Buffalo sports icon. He was here many years calling the Sabres and the Bills and the Bisons, and we get an interesting perspective perspective from him. When did he call uh, the Sabres? I feel like I should know that. Did he do it for radio? Late nineties. Oh, did he? Yep. Was that between? He did what? And I, he did, or? I think, radio before they went to the simulcast. Oh, okay, okay. You know, and he actually mentioned that in the interview you hear later. Only two teams in the NHL do a simulcast like that: us and Dallas. Interesting. What does he think of that? Does he think it's a cheap way to go about it? He didn't say, really. He caught me off guard because I just thought it was more. Teams did that. The one thing I will say about it, um, on the rare occasion that I'm listening to a game while I'm driving, they are not conscious of mentioning the score enough when it's simulcast. So that that can be tough. But other than that, I guess... It would probably definitely be better. I think the problem is 
uh, in this market, nobody wants to call the game opposite Rick, Rick Jenneret. Yeah. So maybe in the post Jenneret era, they will do a radio specific broadcast. Yeah, maybe I, w- I would. I mean. You got to paint that picture on the radio. You got to tell what corner the puck has gone into and all that that good stuff. You got to give the time more often, the score more often. So I know Pete is going to be on the show today, and I am almost positive we're going to pair that with an interview I'm going to do on Thursday with Kenny Albert, uh, the radio play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers. I thought it would be cool to do a top team in the East, top team in the West Let's see what's going on in this league outside of what we've been so hyper-focused on, which is the bottom of the league. All right. Like, what's going on at the top of this league? Another thing I want to do either in this podcast or the next one is uh, to learn more about what's going on in the NBA because we embarrassed ourselves on the show last week trying to talk about That's nothing new. what's going on there. And uh, Chris Ballard, who's one of the best at covering the sport for Sports Illustrated, has a great piece well, I assume it's going to be great. I won't get the chance to read it until tonight. But uh, a piece in this week's SI about uh, the Warriors and Steve Kerr, who we talked about on the show last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get to learn about that from him. Now, that's going to be recorded Thursday as well. And I don't know if it's going to be best to hold that a week or to put all three up this week uh, or what. But also, we're going to finally... Uh, shake down the director of the film we've been featuring in the book club. So we got a lot of options, and we'll just see what comes in and when they come in, and then we'll organize everything. And we'll put it out. If you don't hear it this week, you'll hear it next week. But um, we always say we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but in the end, we always seem to book a really nice show for the listeners, uh, guest wise, and I just I think we have a really great track record for that. So I promise. Uh, you'll get that. We'll talk about the film stuff more in the book club. We're going to do one last thing, and we'll get this thing really going with uh, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> All right, first thing, we had the worst thing that can happen to our show happen last week, and that's when something that our listeners would really like to hear us talk about happened the day after we recorded, and even last week was even before we even had our show up, so I knew it was going to come off as people wondering why it wasn't there. But the Sabres made a huge trade last week, and basically what they did was they traded some valuable assets now for uh, a huge asset next year, and what I think is going to be a sneaky sort of huge bonus in the trade. So basically the Sabres traded former Rookie of the Year and former a guy who I said had the upside to be the best Sabre ever. Yes. Tyler Myers, and Drew Stafford, who I think we're all done with here. I think Drew Stafford... I never had a big problem with him. I I think his problem here was his role, and that's probably the problem with a lot of guys. He scored... He has 130... The worst thing... I was talking to someone. The worst thing that ever happened to him was he scored 30 goals one year. 
because I mean, well, not, he not should for be. His he should book, be scoring twenty to thirty goals every he year. He should be scoring at least right. twenty. I don't think he. I think, I he's think more on that. I think he was gonna get traded no matter what this year because he's perfect for a team like the Jets. He's a good guy to bring into a team like that. And what he wanted, he scored a great, a big goal in the shootout for them, helped them win a game. Right. He can do that kind of thing. Yep. What is he adding here right now? He should be your. And by the time they're good again, he won't be. He should be the sixth of your top six forwards. Yeah, and he'll be perfect. And he'd be fine with that. He'll be perfect there for them. So we traded those two guys, the third of our first round picks this year. Yeah, it's kind of sneakily worded. It will be the now. My question is, what happens if they trade the other one? How do they work? How do do you essentially tell the other team, look, you get whatever is the second to last? Uh, Exactly. Uh, And. Is that it that we traded? Um, no, uh, Joel Armia. Oh, Armia, that's right. And, Two prospects, uh, Armia and Brandon Lemieux. Brandon Lemieux, who we'll talk about in a second. Okay. So we trade those four guys for Evander Kane, twenty-three-year-old potential first-line all-star in the league, right? And Zach Bogosian, who was a high draft pick. In the league. Same draft year as Myers, right? And a big, big guy. Drafted ahead of Myers. Top five pick. Right. And that's basically the return. So let's break this down. Myers was traded for Bogosian. Sure. I love that. Uh, Myers could do great for them, but he wasn't going to be Zidane Ochara here. He might be that somewhere else, but it wasn't going to happen here. And I think they feel maybe the same way about Bogosian there. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Um, I'm not a guy that needed Myers out. I'm not going to blast him necessarily. Uh, but the guy I talk about a lot, Matthew Collar, who's real into the advanced stats, says he's been trending downward since his rookie year, and that's relative Corsi numbers. So what that means is how well his team plays when he's on the ice versus when he's not on the ice. Like His numbers are going to be bad across the board because the team is bad across the board. But the team isn't much considerably better or worse when he's on the ice. So uh, that's not great. Uh, a lot of people kind of question his drive a little bit, maybe, which you know I guess I is a little bit more. You know what I don't love about Corsi, uh, for a defenseman especially, is you can play a play unbelievably well and force a really weak, low-percentage shot that goes in. that is going to be saved 100% of the time, and that will negatively impact your course. I guess you hope... Right? That's a shot against. I guess you hope over the long run that those even out, like that you're going to be on the ice for those fluky goals for as But much it's not about goals, is it, Corsi? It's about shots. No, right, right. Plus-minus is about goals. Corsi isn't. Sure. Uh, Corsi is about shots on net, shots taken, and shots blocked. Right, right, and you add those up for and against, and that's your Corsi. Right, and some of some of those different stats. I'm not sure if it's Corsi. There's like Fenwick stats. Uh, there's all sorts of different stats out there. Um, some of them take into account where you start the the play. Like if you're taking a defensive zone face off, then obviously you're going to be more likely to hit, let up a shot than someone that's taking. Like they'll consider some forwards. Like if say Cody Hodson got a scoring touchback, they might protect him a little bit by only. Uh, sending him out there on offensive zone or neutral zone face-off so he doesn't face the defensive zone. I'm not a huge advanced stats guy, but I'm not a huge, no, we can't look at the game in different ways guy either. Uh, I just think sometimes people who are for advanced stats 
fall too in love with whatever the stat is. And I think Quartz is a great example of that because I don't think it it really is that great of a stat. And I think the best reference I can say is a book we featured by Bob McKenzie. He has a great chapter about this, and you have a chance to read it and look at it. You can make your own opinion about it. This conversation is not about that, so I want to move on. But right. Um I don't love Corsi. The only other thing I would say is for people to just say, I I don't know the stats well enough to just rely on them, but I do like to kind of lean on them for my opinion a little bit. I think the opinion that he's going to get better still or uh, move on to a better team and all of a sudden be what he was as a rookie. I think that's really flawed too. I think some people, I don't. we always blame Darcy Regeer for this, falling in love with players. Historically, players that have been in the league as long as him don't get any better. Yeah, but historically, players that have been in the, lo- in the league as long as him don't start as young as him either. He's still got time on his side. He's Maybe. very, very young. And if you don't think he could, then you wouldn't have been one of the guys to trade for Chara. No, I wouldn't have. But I mean, that's then you would have. He's, he's an exception that proves the rule. I mean, similar thing. And also, someone. One of the big problems with the struggles of Tyler Myers is his body hasn't developed. He still very much plays out there like a boy, especially for his size. Yeah, I think if that's he, his attitude. If I mean, that's can, attitude isn't something that someone that likes advanced stats would it's, say. But. It's hard to change an attitude when you're on in such a downer situation. Maybe, but I mean, he's been in both. And I guess if that's your stance, you can't be excited about Bogosian then because you're basically looking for the opposite. My my thing with both of them was they were signed to be a fourth or fifth defenseman, so I almost don't care. I didn't need Myers gone. I didn't need Myers as part of that deal. I didn't need Bogosian coming back. I just think Bogosian might well, be no. a better player right now. Tyler Myers was signed to be a franchise defenseman. They no, gave him- I mean – if he was on the team right now, he would be the fourth or fifth defenseman going forward. Like, when this team is good, Myers is our fourth or fifth defenseman. Uh, it depends how far you're projecting out. But, I mean, I mean, if the hope is to challenge now, the hope is to challenge for eighth place next year, uh, you would need Tyler Myers to be a top right. two no, defenseman. No, I mean, when this team is good. When this team is competitive, uh, when they're going for it, Myers is your fourth or fifth guy behind Ristolainen, Zadorov, Pesic, and... Yeah, I, I think he's got way more upside than that. And I think uh, Bogosian does as well. I'm not ready to g- – I, I wouldn't give up on either of those guys, but I like the idea of putting each of those guys in a new situation. Yeah. Starting over, having a new chance. So uh, we dif- we disagree on that. But uh, regardless, it doesn't make or break the trade because you just kind of look at those two guys as a swap, almost a separate trade. Let's kind of break it down that way. So I'm going to the- take them out of the trade now. Right. I mean, that's the one thing. I they would... have very similar salaries. Right. They have very similar contract lengths. They're the, very similar players. Being from Buffalo, though, the thing I heard about Myers, and it's like I said, I don't, I don't dislike Myers. I could have had him on my team. I don't mind it. But people here think that we got beat up bad in that part of the deal. And I don't. Most people around the league think the opposite. That Bogosium, like Myers, is the more is the bigger name. But a lot of people that I've heard that are neutral parties from around the league have all said. Bogosian might be the better player. The Sabres might have gotten the two best players in the deal. We may have. Uh, the next part of the trade is the Sabres getting Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. And for Evander Kane, they gave up two prospects and a draft pick. So this is what I'll say about... And what, an expiring contract. I was going to sort of say that 
Stafford was sort of a cherry on top for them. Sure. Uh, but in the end, we both agree we don't really care about Stafford. They no. they can just have him. I didn't dislike Stafford. Some people wanted to run. No, him out I didn't here. dislike him either. I just but. don't. He didn't fit here really. No. He will be much better in the role of trying to be an extra piece to help a team get to the playoffs or advance in it. Tim Murray keeps saying things like he wants to be a team harder to play against. I don't think Stafford fits that. I think he he falls in more like the Derrick Roy category where they're good players, they're serviceable players, they can chip in scoring, but I don't think either of them make you harder to play against from just a... His role in the league, what he's going to excel at, wouldn't have been a value to this team. No. Anytime soon. No. So, he's a guy. He's a guy. I imagine when they are on a cup run and they feel like they need one more scoring winger, he's a guy they go get. Maybe not in Drew Stafford, but just a Drew Stafford type player. Now we have been very clear about the fact that we want this season to be about a tank. Yep. And to finish dead last to get McEichel, which made this trade even more. Perfect. Which made this trade perfect because the big score in it for us. And I always say, and everyone says, in a trade you want to be the team that got the best player. And there's no debating that right now the best player in this trade is Evander Kane. Yeah. And we were able to get him and not have him be an asset right now because he got an elective, not career-altering surgery right. that will put him out until training camp. Right, and I everyone looks at that part of the deal, too, is like, who is Evander Kane? He's always hurt. He's only done it once, all this stuff. Like his Couldn't ad- get along with his teammates. His advanced stats suggest that he is elite, like absolutely elite. Anyone who doesn't think he's potentially elite, especially playing with a center of the quality of Sam Reinhardt, let's just say that's sure. the only guarantee, but just let's say Sam Reinhardt and Evander Kane are your corner stop for the next generation, that's that's great. That's really good. He was picked high for a reason. He's already had a 30-goal season in the league his, playing with average players. And his shoot, One of the weird things about his stats is his shooting percentages are actually really low. So that's one of those things that most guys average around the same, and his is a little low. So you'd expect that to come around a little bit, unless you just got a terrible shot. And the optimist but, in me has said any problems he's had in the locker room, most problems are with individual people that aren't here. And we've seen time and time again in this league that the older these players get, they work this stuff out. Yeah, this We've sure, seen it with Sagan. We've seen it with that's Kane. That's I was going to say. We've talked about it over and over again on this show even. It happens. These kids are so young, and they get so much so quick in this league. It's really difficult, but they they figure it out. They just do. And if this guy can't, I like the risk of trying anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing, um, you get a little – you hear the bad things out of the locker room. Nobody in the media has really had a lot of bad things to say about him. And it suggested he's playing hurt right now, which is obviously because he's going to get a surgery. And he's playing well. He's playing with the worst teammates he's ever had, and he's playing in a checking role. So he's playing against the best competition he's ever had, and he's done a good job at it. So um, I guess what I'm getting at is any issues they have with attitude is off the ice, not on the ice. It doesn't it doesn't translate onto the ice. There's nothing to suggest that he was a bad teammate on the ice. I just love it. And let's talk about the prospects giving up. Now, the first thing I'll say about it is, when you have a team with such a deep prospect pool like the Sabres do, guys were going to get moved. They were going to utilize the picks and the players for assets. They well, weren't going to carry around you can't. 20 prospects and 20 right, picks. Can't. Paul Hamilton is the Sabres beat reporter, and he says you only have 
what is it, 35? You can only have 35 contracts. Like, there's a limited number of contracts. And they were about to have, like, seven draft picks in the first two rounds in the next two years. Something They've had a crazy amount of draft picks. Those players just... There was no chance they were all going to be around. They were always them. stockpiling these guys to turn them into other guys. And I don't know anything about what kind of NHL player either of them are going to be. And I think that for this revival to truly happen, they needed to invest some of those guys for proven NHL commodities. And I don't think it matters. Um, unless Kane falls flat on his face... Like some people are going to look, and Myers has had a nice first three games or whatever it is. There, you can't look at that stuff. If Kane turns out to be a superstar, it doesn't matter what the other guys. We do. We don't care what the other guys do this year, right? It's well, irrelevant, right? But I mean, it doesn't matter going forward unless Kane totally falls flat on his face. Because, I mean, you got to bring in stars, and does I mean you give stuff up to get stuff. Joel yep. Armia wasn't on the team. Uh, maybe he makes the lineup. It might just be a numbers game where he didn't put it. It sounded like he was at an elite level for the AHL, and like his turn was coming up. Yeah, he was getting close to cracking the NHL. Now, they didn't bring him directly to the NHL. No, right. They sent him right to their St. John's, I believe, as their AHL affiliate. Right. That's where he will begin his career as a Jet. And the rumor, and it's just a rumor, I haven't heard it for sure, but yeah, the rumor is that uh, Lemieux didn't want to play here. And if that rumor is true, by the way, thank God they traded him. Because one... You're not the first overall pick. You're not Eric Lindros. You don't get to tell Wasn't even a first teams round where pick. you want to play. Right. Yeah, you weren't even drafted in the first round. You're a crybaby who thinks that you deserve something more than you do because your daddy played in the league. And if that's his attitude, if that's true, if that, that report via Twitter is true, good riddance. I love the trade even more. And that, that, He couldn't have got out of here quick enough. That was the guy that most people you'd see uh, – and this is a Buffalo. It's a blue collar mentality. That's the guy that most people are like. That's the tipping point for me. That I didn't. I wish we didn't have to throw him in. That's the Andrew Peters. Those people line know of, nothing about that player. Right. That's the Andrew Peters line of thinking because we want every player to be like Patrick Coletta. Uh, we want. Now I have no idea he likes or doesn't like the trade, Peters. I don't remember if he like. I, I can't listen to Andrew. Oh Peters. yeah, that show is. It's unless there's a two hour show on on the local radio here. That is essentially a two-hour commercial for the Buffalo Sabres. Right. And Andrew Peters, who's a former, essentially, fighter on the team. Right. Is just He's a, a dinosaur. Obnoxious. Like you, obnoxious said, you said you're not a big fan of the numbers. He would probably do whatever he could to actively go against the, the advanced and, statistics. And I'm so far from that. Yeah. Because uh, they have – they're so important in this day and age. You should absolutely be uh, – you should absolutely have a team on your team – investigating those things. I know, Absolutely I know Peters is always like Bogosian, but then again, he's a guy that in his first game recorded yeah, 13 like 11 hits. hits yeah, something great. Like that. yeah, that's sure. great because I don't want Ristolinen and Zadarov right. running around checking everyone. I think that's another two. reason. And again, I didn't need Myers traded, but Myers plays a similar role to Pesic and Ristolinen and Zadorov too. I mean, Zadorov actually was that checking guy out of uh, – juniors but he looks like he could be a good offensive player too he's got but a shot it, yeah so maybe it's just okay we want this guy that's more a state maybe a guy that more like us like weber who's been on the team forever just isn't very skilled but he right. is a guy that will be tough and stand up and hit and uh maybe maybe that's why they wanted that swap and maybe winnipeg just needed someone as a puck mover and uh offensive threat i've said 
everywhere I read this trade, I would be excited if I was a Jets fan too. I don't think either team got fleeced. I think it was actually a hockey there trade. There are two like teams say. in completely different positions, and they did a great job in improving their team. Yep. Having Evander Kane, now it's maybe short-sighted to some degree, but having Evander Kane right now for them, he wasn't an asset. Because that's well, they had him as a third-line checking player. So. And he's not available right. to them right now. Right. And they want to win now. They're they're right around the cut line I think for if, the playoffs in the Western yep, Conference. I think if you're Winnipeg, you got slightly better short-term because you're playing Drew Stafford over whoever Kane's replacement was. Uh, you got Myers, who you must think is... It, I watched a lot of their game last night just because the NHL package is free this week. And I watched the whole third period. I wanted to see Edmonton win. Uh, right. And uh, he played top two minutes. Right. He's so out there all the time. You got Myers out there to eat minutes. Yep, he's and, top two uh, for them. Power play. I think he scored last night. So they improved in the short term, and they have two lottery tickets in Armia and Brandon Lemieux. I think Winnipeg did great. And the last part of that trade, the Sabres got RI, or RPI. Goalie. Is this the guy you said might be a bonus? I, didn't, I don't know anything about him. He could be a real him. bonus. He was, his freshman year was Anthony's sophomore year, and I actually got to watch him play in person. Saw him get a shutout in Ingles against uh, the eventual national champions that season. Okay. He's a huge goalie. He's like six foot seven, maybe. Wow. Maybe a little shorter than that. I mean, he's a tall, big goalie who was the ECAC freshman of the year uh, as a freshman. And maybe, uh, I bet, got votes to be the ECAC player of the year. He was that good that year. Do you ever look at a guy's name and just think, this guy can never be a famous hockey player? I mean, maybe people thought that about Gretzky or... I think it's Kazdorf, Jason Kazdorf. Yeah, it just sounds like such a... So how tall is he? Um, I'm gonna guess he's six six or so. I don't have. What would I have to go to? Ah, you just Google okay, his here's name. Here's their roster. Okay. Um. He, but yeah, he's a throw-in. They gotta sign him. So he had that his freshman year. Great, elite player. Six la- four. La- six four. Okay, so that's six seven for a goalie. Sure. Because yeah. that's huge. Right. Uh, but um, last year he missed the whole year with an injury, a shoulder injury, and this year he hasn't been as good as his freshman year. And he was uh, – there's definitely a mold of goalie you could tell that Tim Murray wanted. Like when Neuwirth came over here, he was a much bigger go- – I mean, now everyone's going to be bigger than Enroth. But he seems to favor like a positional – like a more boring goalie. Uh, I was listening to guys talk about how hockey was more exciting when the goalies were little because they would have to dive around and make saves. And now being a good goalie is just about – being big and getting in front of the puck, which is not as exciting to watch, but some guys are great. Like Jonathan Quick is just a guy that gets in front of the puck. All right, two last things, and we have to move on. Uh, the Sabres' first-round pick, which will be their worst, will be in the late 20s. If they need to get back to that spot for some reason, having the probable first pick in the second round, they'll be able to do it. Don't sweat that. Uh, if they need to get back to that spot, I'm yeah, sure they can. Tim Murray said that, he thinks that there's like a 19, te- 19 players and then a drop-off. So if he wants to get to 19, maybe the 25th pick and the first and the second round gets him there. And uh, the last thing is they made another trade where they shipped Jonas Sandroth out. That was the ultimate tank trade. They tra- He was playing too well, and he's on an expiring contract, and if the team believes in him that much and wants him that much, they can sign him in the summer. The one thing I'll say about all these trades, and we talked about this after the podcast ended last week like as i was leaving your your place uh none of these trades say you were in a fantasy football league that didn't have any keepers uh you don't want a team tanking because that looks like collusion and that can cause problems 
None of these trades would look like that. Even that trade, the Sabres sent a UFA goalie for another UFA goalie and a third-round pick. So the Sabres essentially got a free third-round pick that could be as good as a second, depending on Ross play. It could be a valuable asset in the draft when they're trying to move around to right. get guys they want. Uh, so overall, I think they did great. I'm excited about it. And if you're not and you're a fan of the team, you're nuts. That's my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you have a quasi-personal relationship with Bucky Gleason, but he thinks people that are optimistic or that doesn't, don't think we overpaid are delusional. Well, we're going to get Bucky in soon to talk about that and other things about the Sabres for sure. That's going to happen soon. Sounds good. Number two, the Yankees are retiring the jerseys of Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams, and Andy Pettit. Your thoughts? Just right off the top when you hear that, what do you think? Uh, boy, that's tough. Um, you're grading on a scale there because the Yankees have all-time great in the sports. And they have many retired jerseys. The guy I think that – now, I'm not a baseball guy. Anyone that's listened to more than 20 minutes of a podcast would know that. But the guy that stands out to me as the weird one is maybe Jorge Posada. He's one of those guys that maybe you would say is like – trying to think of an example maybe rob ray is a great buffalo saber but he's not and that's unfair to jorge posada jorge posada is a very good player too but he seems like a great yankee but not necessarily a great player and this is a yankee honor so so maybe that's fine i don't know i guess i'm fine with it now do you think pettit's admission to using hgh should be a factor in their decision I think it's bizarre that he's going to admit that and A-Rod's going to go on an apology tour. Like, People have like a weird hatred for A-Rod because he got a giant contract and he was like good looking well, and, and he very much and looked in people's faces and bold-faced lied, lied about it. Yeah, I mean, but people he's were very, asking him. The, he's very smug. People were asking him the question, uh, who was going to say yes to that in an interview? He is, but the problem is, is he's basically Lance Armstrong. He was caught, everyone knew it, and he was beyond smug in his position yeah. that everyone else was wrong. I mean, I give Lance a little more grief for it because of the whole live Yeah, he went and, as, and went as far as to sue people in real right, life right, right. would dare question him, but he's very similar to that. Listen, the Yankees, uh, they are going to sell their history until there is no history left to sell. That is what they do. The Yankees exist based on... They're, uh, they're, they exist within the bubble of the Yankees, and this trade, uh, this this decision make works very well for that. And uh, I don't have a huge problem with it. Uh, it would be weird if uh, Jorge Posada was a great. Let me think of the right team. A great Florida Marlin, and they decided that he would be the first guy's number to retire. That might be a little bit weird to me. This is a team that has a thing in their stadium called Monument Park, which exists to store these numbers. They like to do this. Yeah, you can't grade everyone on the scale and, of Babe Ruth. And these like are guys who were a part of five championship teams there. They were going to retire four or five numbers from this era. And it's very clear that they went with the guys who were the core four. You know, plus Bernie Williams. It's going to be the core four and Bernie Williams will be the guys from this era to get their uniforms retired, and I'm good with it. Do you think there's one that maybe is less deserving than the other? Yes, I think that uh, – no. They're all just – They're Yankees, very comparable, though, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're Yankee-type guys. Had it left. Maybe you hold that against him. He left for a few years to Houston. 
Yeah. Uh, but no. And I don't think Bernie Williams wasn't on the, the last championship team. He was gone by then, 2009. Um, you know what I saw it say? Uh, uh, Giambi just retired? He did after 20 seasons. I didn't even know he was still in the league. Yeah, it bouncing DH? around in Cleveland, I think. Was he just DHing? DHing, maybe even like in a somewhat of a player coach unofficial type of role. Oh, okay. You know? Uh, last thing, SNL 40. Yeah. was Sunday. Did you watch that? I, wa- I have it DVR'd, and I watched a little less than half of it probably than my wife fell asleep. So I, I think I heard 23 million people or something like that watched it. A really it had to crush cult- culturally significant event. It was on at the same time as uh, a hockey game or two and uh, the NBA All-Star game. The NBA All-Star game. Yeah. That had to be terrible for the All-Star game. Yeah. I, I don't know what numbers it did. No, I'm sure p- those people who were hoping for success of those events were disappointed because yeah. this did very well. 23 million people, which is huge for TV. I taped the red carpet thing. I mean, we didn't watch any of it live, but I set it up to tape both. Um, I think I started watching before it was over, but didn't make it to the end of it. Uh, Walking Dead was on that night, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was on that night. Everyone's uh, talking about this, and it's not necessarily our thing, and we've gone long, so I don't want to go too far on it, but I was curious to see if you watched it and kind of just what your – like, are you an SNL guy – it's important to you on Saturday nights. Uh, you, you know what? Everyone that watches it, I think, likes the era about when they were a teenager the best. Um, and every era immediately after that sucked. And like you hear that all the time. Like they're, uh, People thought that the Sherry O'Terry and uh, Will... Uh, holy cow, he's the big famous one. I'm dropping his last Will name. Will Ferrell? Yeah, Will Ferrell. And, uh, I mean, that era just had guys that went on to superstardom, but uh, people think that era was bad because of the era before. I mean, just everyone likes the era that when they were a kid. I The main thing I got from it was there are certain parts that will just make you laugh out loud, and I remember watching it going, if they ever released like a reasonably priced box set of this, I would watch it. I'd be interested to watch uh, all of I mean it's a ton of shows. That'd be a huge box, but uh, I'd be interested to watch all of them and uh, see what holds up, what doesn't. I mean, the stuff I remembered made me laugh a little bit harder than the other stuff. They showed a a clip. What was it Rachel Dratch was Debbie Downer or something? Right. Just with all of the people just losing it, like no one could keep a straight face, and that that always made me laugh when that stuff happened. I thought that um, they did a good job with the show. I like SNL. I'm not a huge fan. It's got great cultural significance. Yeah. It's a giant in culture in the United States. Uh, Lauren Michaels' record there is unbelievable. And uh, I would, the only thing, and everyone's saying this, I didn't get what was going on with Eddie Murphy. I didn't see it. I'll he waited, up, you know, thirty years to be there again, and it lasted. I think I saw seventy-seven seconds, and he made zero jokes. Really, he contributed nothing. Huh? I don't know. Probably in hindsight, he knows that he probably should have said no. Hmm. I'm glad they brought Norm back. I love Norm, and he was kind of fired from the show. Yeah, I so wanted to mention cool. we're not we're not out of time, so I want to move on. But uh, Rolling Stone ranked the cast members. Oh yeah, and I think there's over 140 of them, but maybe not 150 somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is last, but I think that was. I've heard, yeah. They were being cute, I think, it's, about that. It's safe, too, because, oh, you're not picking on a guy that's careerless right, right now. Uh, Norm MacDonald and Colin Quinn were back-to-back on the list at 135 and 136. 
I think that's ridiculous. I think that. I mean, maybe I'm basing it too much on how they are as comedians. No, they're both phenomenal. They were both great on the show too. They were both the update desk. two of the people who did yeah. updates. Uh, but check that list out if you want. Listen, James Andrew Miller was a friend of this show and wrote a great book about ESPN. Yeah. And he's been on twice, and I've sent him a bunch of emails, and he doesn't return them anymore. So we might not be able to get him on. I don't know why. Uh, but I'm trying, and if we can, we'll talk more about this. If not, he is on Simmons' podcast this week, so check that right out. There, yeah. Because he uh, he knows the product well and probably has better things to say. All right, we need to move on because we have a <laughs> lo- potentially a lot of stuff to pack into this show. Uh, and we've been going for a good half hour probably. Oh, yeah. Not more. So we're going to take a break and we're going to get our guests going when we come back. Our next guest is from Berkeley, California, and played basketball and track at Pomona University. Uh, he's an author, a writer at Sports Illustrated, and he's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Chris Ballard. How are you doing today, Mr. Ballard? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I appreciate having you. It's been a bit, um, I don't know if it was the last time or the time before that, uh, but obviously one of the big reasons we had you in was uh, just One Shot at Forever, which is just still one of the uh, the favorite books that we've read and featured on the show for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the, I remember when we were talking about it at the time, there was some talk about maybe the some people being interested in the book as a movie. Yeah, you know, actually it, uh, it got optioned, and uh, I learned a lot about Hollywood as this one all got <laughs> optioned. Um, Got a producer uh, and then a, a studio pick of Legendary Pictures, which does uh, like the you know the Dark Knight movies and then the Jack Robinson movies. A great studio, and we got a, a screenwriter who wrote a script. Uh, and then I think mainly just because the uh, sports industry movie, uh, sports movie industry is really not good right now. At some point after the script came in, they said, "Ah, eh, maybe not." So. Now uh, the producer is looking to find another studio, but uh, who knows? I think it's it's hard to make a good sports movie these days. Uh, a lot of a lot of the recent ones like Draft Day, and even the Million Dollar Arm, which I heard was good, uh, just don't do well at the box office. So it's kind of one of those things where, where maybe if there was just a sports movie that would come out and hit, you could it would really sort of open up the market a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that. I mean, I'll be curious to see. There's one coming out now with. Kevin Costner, uh, based on a Jerry Smith story, actually called McFarland about a cross country team. So, uh, you know, who knows? Seems like Kevin Costner is in half the movies. <laughs> yeah, it does. I-, I think I saw a trailer for that that Costner movie too. I haven't seen Draft Day yet, though. I, I think just listening, yeah. to- just listening to you say that, I feel like I haven't. It seems like these days, if I'm watching a really good sports movie, it's probably a, a Thirty for Thirty or some other sports documentary. You know, very mm-hmm. very rarely the uh, the scripted type, but we love one shot of forever, and it'd be great to see it uh, see it show up in the uh, in the in the theater someday. Yeah, I would too. So yeah. uh, fingers crossed, we'll see. 
we we want to I wanted to reach out today because I think what happens for a lot of sports fans, um, general sports fans, or uh, people who get so hyper focused on football as uh, we can here, or um, a lot of people do that when it ends that that Monday that absolutely should be a Super Bowl or a, a, a holiday after the Super Bowl. I think we all sort of like stretch and look around and say like, all right, so what is going on in all these sports that I love but have sort of been neglecting uh, in some way? And uh, last week on the show, my partner and I were trying to uh, to ex- explore that a little bit, and we were talking about uh, what was going on in uh, the NBA and in hockey and in college basketball and the things that we've been neglecting, and boy – did we stink when we were bumbling through the NBA talk? I mean, it was it was embarrassing. Uh, luckily, we can laugh. At, luckily, we can laugh at ourselves because I'm sure everyone else was. And I was like, you know, I got to reach out to someone this week to sort of clarify some things. And one thing that we that we sort of stunk on was uh, was the Warriors and the. It's like I'm thinking all these things, and it happens, and I see all your tweets, and you got this column coming out about the Warriors and Sports Illustrated this week, so I thought you'd be perfect. And I just finished uh, reading the column on on the iPad, uh, and you had mentioned there's going to be a longer version on the website, and uh, just a lot of great information there. And a lot of it centers around uh, Steve Kerr, the the new coach, and what he has brought to a team that a writer in uh, the Bay Area there said couldn't be improved uh, by a coaching change. And you mentioned a lot of reasons why you think he's been so successful there in the piece. Did you want to share one of those, one or two of the reasons why you think he's been able to uh, to change that perception? I think probably a little bit in the Bay Area that a coaching change uh, was able to help the team. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it was sort of the, what I set out to do with the story was why are these guys so much better when you're returning essentially the same roster and the top seven guys in terms of minutes. Uh, and they're, they're significantly better this year. So what is that? Um, and, you know, what I found was part of that was that it just got really dysfunctional with Mark Jackson at the end. Uh, and so part of it, you can look back and say, okay, almost any change would have had certain positive effects. Then you look at what Kerr did when he came in, and immediately he goes out uh, and he talks to all the players. And he flies to Australia to see Andrew Bogut. He connects with them. Uh, he's got this vision in mind. He shares it with them. He's sort of a no BS guy. I think they, they respect that because Mark Jackson, while a good leader, uh, definitely was, was sort of, uh, a bit of a talker. So they respect that. And then almost most important, he hires two really, really good assistant coaches. And Ron Adams, uh, has been around like 17 years and ran the defense. In Oakland City, ran the defense with Thibodeau in Chicago. Just an excellent defensive mind. Bring him in to continue what they'd done defensively, which had been good. And then he goes and gets Alvin Gentry, who he knew from Phoenix, who's one of the better offensive minds. And so now you've got a contrast between a team that had assistant coaches with very little experience to one that has 40-plus years of experience just in his first two assistants. I think Kerr also goes over the roster and says, okay, what are the problems here? Uh, number one, we're not getting the most out of our bench. The bench was very poor last year. Right. So they make the big decision to move Iguodala to the bench. Uh, you know, and Iguodala is um, mature enough to handle that well. 
And that allows him to Harrison Barnes for the starters. Uh, and so he just keeps going sort of step-by-step and making small changes that in some have a large, large impact. You know, you mentioned that there's going to be a larger piece on the, uh, on the internet than what I was just able to read, but it seems like a lot of the buttons that Kerr has pushed so far, uh, it's worked very well, as, as you sort of explained here and also in the piece. Has there been any any buttons that he pushed that that didn't go so well, and has he shown the ability to kind of uh, accept that and change or go with that, or has it really been just sort of a really successful first half run there? Well, yeah, when you're forty two and nine, anything you do wrong, right, it's going to be relatively minor. But yeah, you know, I, I talked to the people about that. Uh, you know, I adapted on the fly. And the, I think probably the biggest thing was that you know he initially was so excited of installing this big offense that he made it too complex, and they had more than twenty plays. Uh, and so that you know they had twenty two plus turnovers a game at first, the first seven games of the season, and it was clear that to current gentry they were just trying to do too much. They had so many ideas. So they pared it back down, got it to some basics, and then that started working. So I think he adapted that. Uh, secondarily, I don't think he ever expected to use most fates. Uh, their, their backup big man, who's probably in the running for six man of the year right now, really didn't expect to use him, but then David Lee got hurt. Um, and so Kerr ends up playing spates. Spates ends up playing well. They incorporate and incorporate him. Uh, you know, Steve told me that was, that was not part of the plan. And, uh, you know, I don't think there was much of a plan for Mo at all. But he realized, okay, if this guy can be valuable, I have to change how I perceive him. And so he installed some plays for him, and you know, Mo even started playing some defense. So that, that kind of adapting and changing your perceptions on the fly, uh, I think it's a little bit rare in, in sports. And then the most important thing, from what I can tell, is that even though they've done well, Kurt is not taking any of the credit. You know, last year, yeah. part of the reason... Jackson was a problem is that he tried to take credit for everything. And, and that can be frustrating if you're a player or, you know, assistant coach or in the, the management. So here's a guy who comes in, you know, front runner on Boonholzer for Coach of the Year Award, and he's saying, it's not me. I'm not, you know, not going to take any credit for this. And it seems genuine. That has a really powerful effect if you're trying to tell your team, this is, you know, we're all going to have to sacrifice to win a title. This is not about me. This is about the team. And then if you act that way too, and that can have a big, big influence. Yeah, you mentioned uh, an unexpected change was having to utilize a backup big man. But one thing you made a point of in the column was how the team was sort of built uh, under the philosophy of remembering that size still matters in the NBA. And that, that struck me as so, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but it just surprised me that, that the league had shifted it all away from that philosophy that people would would feel the need to emphasize that size still matters so when i think of the nba i think of size you know i think of thinking of six four guys or six three guys as small in in the nba and um uh, what was it about the league that had shifted away from that and and why do you think that uh shifting back to that has been so successful for the warriors well it's funny they they both have shifted back and have not shifted back. Really, it's more just in uh, in in Bogut. So the shift occurred, and it's not necessarily that people are smaller in the NBA, but you have 
the traditional center is what sort of gone with the big lumbering guy. Right. You look at Miami, and you know teams always copy whoever wins. Miami won, and they were often playing Chris Bosh as a big man, and that big man was shooting threes. So you're creating this a stretch four situation, and you're spreading the floor for drivers, and there's not as much of a place there for a big lumbering center, right? Um, and so what the Warriors are doing is they're emphasizing size at all positions. So you might want, you know, 6'8", 6'6", 6'6". Those are your wings, and those guys are all long. Length is almost important or more important now than size. They're all long. They get in passing lanes. They can defend. Uh, all that matters. And those guys become interchangeable. But they also sometimes play where their tallest player, Draymond Green, William the tallest player, maybe Barnes will be six eight. So they will be playing small, but all those small guys are big, if that makes sense. Uh and for them it's bogus. You know, they believe you do need to have that rim protector. You need to have that, that classic big guy in there if you want to win a championship. Uh but there's only so many of those guys in the league and their their value has changed in the last few years. Sports guys are here with uh, Sports Illustrated CJ writer Chris Bar- Ballard. He's at SI underscore Chris Ballard on, on Twitter and has a great a piece in this week's magazine about the Golden State Warriors, which will be extended into a longer version on the new SI.com later in the week. Uh, I was uh, thinking about uh, the play- the NBA playoffs, and that's really easy to do when uh, you're look you're- when you're thinking about a team that's uh, 42 and nine or whatever, because it's like, all right, well, uh, this is a-, a team that's number one in the conference and really close with another team in the East as number one in the league. Maybe they've been switching off and on. And so often in the NBA, the team that wins the finals is the team that has gotten the best matchups through the playoffs. That often the league can be based on matchups. Is there uh, certain teams in the Western Conference that could be a more difficult matchup for Golden State, or or a team that maybe, despite a higher quality, is actually a better matchup for them? Or do you think about that at all? Yeah, there's, there's really two teams they want to avoid, and I think they know it. And it's San Antonio uh, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they just don't match up well with the Thunder, even though the Thunder are theoretically fighting to get into the playoffs at this point. They just don't match up well with them. Um, and with San Antonio, the system that both teams run is so similar, very similar teams. Uh, and obviously Popovich is a great coach. So you're going to have trouble there in, in both those situations. They have guys like Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green are both uh, quick and long enough that they could guard Thompson and Curry. Uh, and then Thunder obviously have Westbrook and Grant, which pose real problems. You know, Draymond Green can guard most wings in the, uh, in the NBA, but Grant is so long, he has a hard time with them. So any team but that in the West, they're, they're in really good shape or pretty good shape at least. Um, and then if they keep Bogut healthy, it'll be good. I don't know if there's anyone they're hoping to play. I, I think it's, you know, Dallas is pretty good. Houston's pretty good. Um, uh, you know, Phoenix might not make the playoffs. We'll see with the, the trades now, but uh, those are the two they're trying to avoid. That's for sure. Who do you think is a better team right now in the NBA, them or the Hawks, or maybe someone else? Yeah, it's interesting. Their regular season team, it'll probably be similar. Who wins more games, the the Warriors and the Hawks? As currently constructed, I think the Warriors are a better playoffs team in part because they have playoff experience now, and two years in a row doing it. In part because they have Bogut, in part because they have Curry, who's, you know, if you have a sort of a, a transcendent superstar, it can help. And the Hawks are running such a great system, and uh, they're seamless, and Boone has done a great job 
but they're lacking a playoff experience. Uh, you know, B they're they're lacking, or at least you know they they've been in the playoffs, they haven't gone to out of the first round, and they're they're lacking uh, that one guy. You know, you got T, you got Horford, who gets that last shot. That can be good. That can also be a problem. Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked so much about the Warriors so far, but we really haven't talked about about Curry at all. And I mean, that's the that's the star of the team. Do you think that's and and really, I mean, in the article you did write about, um, you know, about how Curry and and uh, and Curry like to face off and and challenge each other and practice, and you did talk a little bit about uh, how the last coach had run through things through him and but i mean he really wasn't the focus of the article it didn't it wasn't overwhelming and, and I, I was just thinking about that and saying you know if he had tried to write this piece in the last few years about some of the other great teams in the nba you'd always get back to the star but it didn't seem quite as suffocated this time was that because you really really tried to avoid that or is that because his presence on the team isn't quite as suffocating as some stars can be well, I, you know, I think sort of a combination of things. Number one, I mean, personally, I've written three stories on Curry, so there wasn't a lot more to be said there. Right. Um, but in answering the question of the question I was posing was how did this team, how did this franchise go from being a joke to being perhaps one of the best in sports in five years? So Curry was you know, a large part of that. Um, but when you look at all the mechanics of it, he's just one element. And the other elements... Uh, are a little more interesting, to be honest. I mean, Curry is a wonderful player who's gotten better and is no longer has ankle injuries and they're using him right and all those kind of things. Uh, but the people making the decisions were Bob Myers and Joe Lacob and now Steve Kerr. And those are the decisions that have led to this, you know, one of which was originally was drafting Curry. And that was Larry Riley and uh, Don Nelson who did that. All right, well, let's close on this. It's at SI underscore Chris Ballard. I got on, on Twitter. I look for his column on the Warriors. And... Uh, this week's Sports Illustrated on SI.com. But uh, as you go forward here, as we're at the, you know, this week's Sports Illustrated was the mid-season recap, and they just had the All-Star game in New York. Really great, great weekend for the NBA. As a writer, what, what interests you going forward? What, what are the stories or players or teams or things that you're really interested in tracking uh, going forward? What second-half uh, things are interesting, Chris Ballard, ab- about the NBA? Well, I think we'll see a couple trades here, and it'll be interesting to see how those incorporated. It always is, uh, you know, for the deadline tomorrow. But they're always going to be something interesting. You know, you can sort of watch the Knicks and the and the Sixers and see just how are they going to how they going to sort of finish the the tank jobs there midway through, and that's got a certain allure too. All right, well, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you back. Uh, we're going to be hoping here for a, a big sports movie to hit out in Hollywood, so we can change the landscape there and see one shot at forever on the screen and. Really enjoyed the, yeah. the Warriors article and having you back, and, and thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. This place looks uh, long on local color and short on blended whiskey. I hope you have a plan. Of course I do, Miss Allen. Hey, senor! This bar is not for American tourists. I'm glad to hear it. It's kind of hot out there. You got a couple of beers? We have nothing for you here. Except a warning. Go now. There is plenty cantinas down at the beach. Well, I'm looking for a man named 
Manny Cortez. Is this a part of the plan? No. Escucha me. Solamente trato haliares, hombre. We are not little children to be impressed because you speak our language. We want to find out what you want. Is this? No. You want tough? You got tough. B.A. All right, I want to thank Sports Illustrated's Chris Ballard for being on the podcast today. It's great to have Ballard back on the show. Been a while. It's Thursday, Buffalo, New York. Don and I recorded our part of this podcast on Tuesday. I did the Ballard interview on Wednesday. The Pete Weber interview you're going to hear later on Tuesday. And I did the next interview you're going to hear with Kenny Albert about 15 or 20 minutes ago. So in the end, this show is going to be Ballard on basketball and then an Eastern and Western Conference, a play-by-play guy from the NHL, as we go pretty sports-heavy this week, because next week, it might be a bit different. Uh, I have emails back from James Andrew Miller uh, saying he'll be glad to come on and talk about Saturday Night Live, and I also have an email back from the executive producer of the Anthony Cumia show, Keith the Cop, saying that Erin, I believe her name is, will be getting back to me to schedule something with Anthony Cumia, uh, formerly of the Opie and Anthony show, which is really exciting to get a radio legend like Anthony on the podcast. And then uh, I also recorded a interview with uh, Gabe Polsky, the director of the uh, Book Club Book of the Month movie this month. Uh, So I did get that interview. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what turns up on next week's podcast. But uh, let's take a break and start the sort of hockey portion of the podcast with Kenny Albert. Our next guest is from New York City, New York, and is a graduate of New York University. He, of course, calls the NFL for Fox, the NHL for the NBC Sports Network, and does radio for the New York Rangers. He's a regular on the podcast, and it's nice enough to take some time with us today. A warm sportscaster's welcome. It's Kenny Albert. What's going on, Mr. Albert? Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks. How awesome was Rangers Islanders at the Long Island a couple nights ago. It was definitely one of the best regular season games that I've ever been a part of. And I think I would have said the same thing even if the Islanders won. You know, I'm looking at it from the Ranger perspective, working the game on the radio with Dave Maloney. But uh, just the, the ebb and flow to the game, the Islanders score 11 seconds in. 
They lead 2-0, 3-1, 5-3, three different two-goal leads. The Rangers score the last three. And the emotion in the building as well, you know, given how well both teams are doing this year and it's the last year in the Nassau Coliseum for the Islanders. It was just a tremendous atmosphere and an even better game. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I had sort of forgot that the NHL was fun a little bit. with <laughs> You know, because it's just it's not a big deal the way things are going here. I mean, it's sort of what everyone wants, uh, but it's not that fun. You know, you want it to happen, but it's it's not that fun. I think a lot of people in Buffalo have been more excited about watching the Oilers games uh, the last week or so because you can root for goals and stuff and, and winning. Uh, but I, I sat down uh, maybe 5-3 uh, and got to see the Rangers come back. And like you said, the energy in the building, and it was just it was refreshing to see a hockey game like that. Um, do you worry that the NHL is really going to lose something when the Islanders are at uh, at Barclays, or do you think that the rivalry can can carry over, or maybe even intensify with uh, the Islanders moving into a borough as opposed to being on Long Island? I think it may even intensify, yeah. and, and it's been great. Although for the last two decades, the Islanders haven't been very good. They haven't won a playoff series since '93. Now they had the the very exciting series with Pittsburgh two years ago, but. And it's a great atmosphere at the Nassau Coliseum. I grew up on Long Island, and, and you know, I'm, uh, in a way, I'm sad to see them have to leave the island, and I feel bad for the fans out there who will now have a longer drive to the games. However, uh, it's better than the alternative. You know, had they moved to Quebec or Kansas City, at least they're still in the area. They're only going to be about 25 miles from where they play now. And when you look at what happened when the, the Nets moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn, it really raised their profile in the metropolitan area after playing out in the suburbs in New Jersey. So I think the same thing could happen with the Rangers and Islanders, uh, with the Islanders moving to Brooklyn, to the Barclays Center, and you know, especially given that they're an elite team right now as well, or at least they have you know, been so far uh, during the first three quarters of this regular season. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I wanted to ask you real quick. When you look back at 1994 and the no more no more 1940 season, did it mean a little extra something? I know it was the first round, and I know it wasn't all that competitive, but did it mean a little extra something to the Rangers and Rangers fans to have been able to go through the Islanders as part of that journey? Uh, with it being well, I'm sure Ranger fans enjoyed you know sweeping that series against the Islanders in the first round, but uh, you know in order to win a Stanley Cup, I don't think the fans would have cared if it were uh, you know Winnipeg and Calgary, Vancouver, and Edmonton uh, right. as the four teams they beat. They would have taken it no matter who the opponents were. But during that series, they, they certainly enjoyed chanting Ron Hextall's name uh, during, during that sweep of the Islanders. Right. And, and I guess in retrospect, it's nice to be able to say, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was the Islanders and then Washington. And, and then, of course, the Devils in, right. in the, the conference the finals as well. Yeah, they played the other series. two local teams that year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last year, the Rangers were in the cup final. Uh, didn't quite weren't quite able to beat Los Angeles, but uh, what is this year's team like compared to that one? Better, the same, not as good, we have to see. What do you think as we stand in February uh, about this team compared to last year's? Well, you know, when I think back, you know, so many things had to happen for the Rangers to get to the Stanley Cup final last year. And, you know, certainly uh, when we look back on this year, uh, as it turns out, they, they could be a better team and not make it that far. Um, you know, a lot, a lot depends on, on health and Henrik Lundqvist in particular and the matchups and the playoffs and, and who gets eliminated by other teams. You know, last year, if, if Boston doesn't lose to Montreal, 
you know, who knows? Maybe the Rangers don't get to the final. Maybe they lose to the Bruins in the conference finals. So, so much depends on, on matchups and the health of your team at the time. And, and again, the Rangers, you know, on paper could be a better team this year. They could finish with more points than last year. And, and, you know, maybe they go out in the first round or second round. We just don't know. But, you know, that being said, I think they certainly are one of the elite teams in the East. Um, with a healthy Henrik Lundqvist, with, with the team constituted as they are now, I think they certainly can get back to the Stanley Cup final and, and maybe even win it. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, it, it's sure a lot of fun watching these guys play. Um, they've scored 39 goals over the last nine games. You know, the style that Elaine Vigneault implemented coming in from Vancouver is just so much fun to watch and, and, and to call the games on a nightly basis. You know, uh, I talked to Pete Weber, uh, who does TV for the National Predators, and he mentioned matchups too, and he actually said that the team he thinks that Nashville could be uh, in most trouble if they were to get against uh, would be uh, Anaheim. He said they just have a real trouble matching up with them. Who's that team for the Rangers, if there is one? Well, you know, this year it's been it's been Tampa Bay, and it was the Islanders. You know, up until the other night, they had lost the first three games to the Islanders, all by three goals, and they lost all three to Tampa Bay this year. Uh, now, on the other side, the Rangers have had great success against Pittsburgh. Uh, they they you know they've split with Montreal. They they beat Boston the last time they were in. But if you had a look at the two teams that have given them the most problems in their conference so far, it's been the Islanders and Tampa Bay this year. You mentioned uh, Vigneault and his style that he brought over. Nobody must enjoy it more than, than Rick Nash, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the guys enjoy it. You know, some of the fast players, Chris Kreider and Carl Hagelin and Matt Zuccarello, but Rick Nash is having a tremendous season. I think he certainly has to be looked at as an MVP candidate with 35 goals, and he's not only doing it in the offensive zone. He's been playing great defensive hockey. He's been killing penalties. He has four shorthanded goals this year so. Really has been a terrific player in, in all three zones for the Rangers this year. Did you expect him uh, to be this kind of complete player in his earlier run with the Rangers? Like, Is this a surprise to see how much his game has matured? Well, I think the Rangers you know, organization certainly hoped that, that he would put up big numbers offensively, but I don't think any of us expected him to be playing as well. Uh, again, in all, in all, all facets of the game, um, I think back to last year when uh, he started killing penalties right before the Olympics because Mike Babcock was going to use him in that role in Sochi and scored some shorthanded goals last year. And uh, this year he's been you know on the on the PK right from the start. So uh, you know I think the Rangers would have hoped to get this from Rick Nash, but I'm not sure they would have expected him to play as as well as he has so far this year. Yeah, you mentioned Chris Kreider, BC kid who actually hosted my brother at BC when he went on his official visit there, and then. My brother was a freshman at Yale. They had a one nothing lead in BC until Chris Kreider scored two goals in the last, I don't know, minute and a half or so, uh, to end that dream. But uh, one thing I've, I've I loved, I, I got hooked on the Rangers last year about was all the college talent they have because I love college hockey and and Chris Kreider is, well, I guess you'd have to say Martin St. Louis is sort of the leader of that group, but Chris Kreider is, is maybe the the future of the college hockey players for the Rangers. But tell me about Chris Kreider's maturity and, and what he's been able to do in the new system and, and break out a bit. Well, first of all, you're right about the college guys. I mean, you look at the goalie, Cam Talbot, out of Alabama, Huntsville, and then on defense, uh, Ryan McDonough from Wisconsin, and Matt Hunwick played at Michigan, and then up front, uh, just going through the roster, you have Kreider, of course, from Boston College, Derek Stepan from Wisconsin, Marty St. Louis from Vermont, Carl Haglin from Michigan, Kevin Hayes from Boston College, yeah, so uh, Dominic Moore out of Harvard, and 
least Stemniak and Tanner Glass out of Dartmouth. So really, over half of the players on this Ranger team uh, did play college hockey. Um, and as far as Kreider goes, you know, he continues to develop before our eyes. He, he came up in the playoffs in 2012 and scored five goals before he ever played in a regular season game. And then, you know, the next season he was up and down between the Rangers and, and the American Hockey League, and he started the year in, in the minors last year. And then as the season developed, became a very important uh, player on the Rangers roster, and he's one of the core guys now. You know, he's, he's one of the fastest guys in the league, and, you know, you think how many goals the Rangers have scored on the rush this year with, with defensemen looking for that outlet pass to a, a Kreider, Hagler, or Zuccarello. So he was a first-round pick. The Rangers had high expectations, and, He's still early in his career. It's really his first full season uh, because he did start in the minor leagues last year. Played most of the year with the Rangers, but right. um, you know the, the the learning curve you know continues to go up and and the improvement and you know I think in the future you can kind of envision him as one of the elite power forwards in the league with with great speed as well. But wasn't he the first college or first player from college to score a playoff goal before a regular season goal since like Jeff Farkas? from bc or something like that did it with the least yeah, yeah that sounds familiar you know there's a list of you know a pretty small list of guys right. who scored in the playoffs before they scored in the regular season and and he wound up with five goals that year in the playoffs before ever playing in a regular season game yeah and it's a similar path to farkas who then you know was between toronto and uh uh i think it might have been st john's at the time was their affiliate that farkas uh, but then he ended up sort of breaking his neck there uh so a really uh, disappointing end uh, he was with gianta at bc and they were both uh, from Buffalo. Well, Gianta is technically from Rochester, but they played in, in Buffalo and were sort of hockey legends here uh, before Pat Kane uh, changed what it means to be a Buffalo hockey legend, I guess. Uh, Kenny, before I let you go, uh, you're at Kenny Albert on Twitter, and you, you call in these Rangers games. You're on uh, the NBC Sports Network. I already apologize for having to call Sabres Devils the other night. <laughs> uh, did you get a chance to see any of the 30 for 30 uh, on the um, on the Russia team that was on. Not yet, not yet. I look forward to watching it. I have it on my DVR, but I've been I've been so busy with travel and work that I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But I but I will in the, in the very near future. Yeah, there's that, and then there's another film called Red Army uh, by a Yale ho- former Yale hockey player. His name's Gabe Polsky, and uh, it's more it's a, a very similar theme documentary. Uh, went to Cannes and was picked up by Sony Classics and is available in theaters, and I've seen them both, and they're both unbelievable films. I mean, if you get a chance to check them out as a hockey fan, you're going to absolutely yeah. love it. No, yeah. I heard uh, I, I heard Steve about both, and, and I certainly, uh, once the schedule quiets down a little bit, I, I certainly will watch both films for sure. Yeah, well, you're always everywhere on my TV, uh, here, there, football, hockey, basketball, whatever it is. Uh, we always appreciate you taking out a few minutes, so enjoy the rest of the day. And uh, good luck with the Rangers, and uh, we'll talk to you playoff time or soon whenever we can uh, work it out for sure. Thanks, Steve. Anytime. Really appreciate it. All right, I want to thank our first guest for being on the show today. I always appreciate anyone who comes on the Sportscasters. Quick update for the book club today. We've been talking about a film called Red Army, a documentary made by a former Yale hockey player. And we talked last week about how there was a similar documentary on 30 for 30. And we also mentioned we weren't sure uh, if they were actually going to work with us on this. Right. We had some sort of vague commitments but never really spoke to anyone. And uh, that changed today. I finally did get a chance to track down the director of the film, Gabe. 
And uh, we are going to speak to Gabe uh, sometime here real quick. I'm going to have a chance to watch the film. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, then uh, we'll have Gabe on and we'll interview him. I don't know if it'll be next week show if it'll be on some point during this show and um it won't be on this show uh no it, it, it the earliest it would be on is next, next week, week. Yep. but uh i'm looking forward to it sonyclassics.com slash red army where you can find the information don you heard gabe today on the adam carolla show yeah carolla admitted not to being a hockey guy so the questions were a little bit more like high level i would say um he never does. I mean, the first thing you texted me does he, was, did he bring up the 30 for 30? And Corolla didn't. Um, but How much not, time did he give him? He sat in the regular guest spot. Now, he didn't come on and do like a 30-minute interview with him. I don't. I mean, I wasn't timing it, but he did his the regular interview, and then he stuck around for the news. Like anyone that's listened to Corolla knows the guest will do. Uh, the guy stayed relatively quiet during the news, uh, kind of laughed a little bit at like the jokes and stuff like that, but... It was, it was not the most memorable appearance, but it's kind of like a square peg, round hole type. It's a right. weird guy to, for Adam to even have on. So, I mean, he did fine, Adam. Uh, but your interview will be get much more in-depth well, about, well, about, we about hockey and everything. So uh, <laughs> if you're into it for the hockey, I think, I think you know which interview to listen to. If you're in the Buffalo area, the film will be playing at the Eastern Hills Mall in Williamsville on March 13th. And uh, maybe if things go well and I like it and there's people out there who are interested in going to watch it with Don and I, uh, maybe we can set that up if we're available on the 13th. I'm not sure I might be traveling to watch Anthony that weekend, uh, depending on how things work out. But if we're available and we could do it, maybe that would be a fun fun thing to do. People are interested. If you're in Rochester, it's also showing that day uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, there's an earlier date for Rochester as well. Uh, the 27th at Little Cinema 5. Again, the website is sonyclassics.com slash redarmy is the way you can watch the trailer there. And you can check out Gabe on Adam Carolla, and he'll be with us next week or uh, sometime soon, as far as I can tell from the emails with him. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and we're not sure of much, but we know that after the book club, we're going to put up our interview with Pete Weber, uh, the play-by-play voice of the National, the Nashville Predators. <laughs> Our next guest is from Galesburg, Illinois, and is a graduate of Notre Dame University. He got his start there broadcasting for the hockey team and has since done color for the LA Kings, the Buffalo Bills. He served as a play-by-play man for the Sonics, the Bisons, and of course, Nashville Predators, where he's been calling games since 1998 already. Uh, he's making his third appearance on the show today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Pete Weber. How's it going there, Mr. Weber? Going very well, and you got me fired up with the Notre Dame victory march. Uh, I, I was lucky this year. Uh, the Irish played here in the Music City Bowl oh. against LSU, and it was a doubleheader day for me. It was the Notre Dame Irish in the daytime and the St. Louis Blues at night. What a great day it turned out to be. That was their first bowl win over a ranked team in quite a while, right? Is that what it yes, was? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. You have to kind of go back uh, to Eric Parsegian's era, really, when I was in school there, uh, when they had done something along those lines. You know what's a really cool Notre Dame story going on? And I was thinking of it because you mentioned to me when we were hooking this up that you're about to head out 
to Long Island for a game, and you're going to get a sight of it, and it's Anders Lee. Yes. Who is, as hockey fans, you got you got to love this kid because he turned down a scholarship to be a quarterback for Notre Dame football to instead not just go to Notre Dame to play hockey, but to go to the USHL for a year to earn his scholarship to right. play hockey there. And I just think that as a, a hockey fan, for one, as a U.S. hockey uh path guy, a guy who appreciates the idea of uh, not going to Canada to play U.S. juniors, but instead, uh, you know, playing in the USHL and in college hockey. I love Anders Lee. Love Anders well, Lee. A similar story to the guy who just retired a few years ago as general manager of the Predators Farm Club in Milwaukee Admirals. He was third behind Joe Theismann at quarterback at Notre Dame, uh, cracked up his ribs, and then went on to play in the International Hockey League where the Admirals resided for so long. He just retired a few years ago, and then a guy who was a year behind me in former Sabres president Larry Quinn's class, Bill Nyrop, who played on three Stanley Cup champions in the late 70s with Montreal. He was number three on the depth chart behind Tommy Clements, who won the national championship in 1973. Wow. Wow, unbelievable! Yeah, that just so cool to think of a kid in two two the two thousands, uh, you know, saying, "No, I'm not going to go play no- quarterback at Notre Dame." You know, I'm going to grind out this hockey thing because I really think that's my way, and uh, for it to work out as well as it has for him is is really cool. Obviously, good decision. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about the the Predators a little bit, but first. Uh, I always like to get an outside perspective, especially from someone who has uh, been on the inside in this city. It's been such a crazy uh, year here. It's been really, it's been really interesting because uh, the way the season has played out for the Sabers is very much what I think we we expected, and mm-hmm. to a large extent, what a lot of us wanted. As strange as that might seem. But uh, not everyone, and especially not the media, and especially not Mike Carrington, who is a good friend of this show and was very nice. And a good uh, friend of mine. Uh, very nice in November to come on for a half an hour and to talk uh, tank versus not tank uh, <laughs> with me. Uh, really, it was great. And he's, he's referred to it uh, when he – because it's, it's an every night thing for him. Uh, every time it's it's not even that it's an every goal thing for him it's an every tweet thing for him because he has really been the face of the this is a disgrace crowd if that's the right way to put it yeah and it's been a tough stance for him to take and he's taken a bit of a beating at times uh, but he's never wavered and like I said he, he's he was very kind to, to come out and do it here so I'm not in any way putting him down at all uh, but what is uh what is the uh, perspective for someone like yourself about what has gone on here in Buffalo and what has become uh, very bold and transparent uh, in the last week or so with uh, some of the trades and the way they were structured and the way they went down. I mean, there's no right. denying it at this point, but uh, how does it how does it strike you? Well, number one, I hope everybody has had the chance to at least go online and re, uh, see uh, TSN's piece they did on the great tanking uh, battle, if you will, between Pittsburgh and New Jersey back in the 80s, which resulted in Tommy McVie losing his job because he wanted to win with the Devils. And what did they win? They won Kirk Muller. Good man, outstanding hockey player, but Pittsburgh won Mario Lemieux. Lemieux, Now, that's one view of it. Right now, though, uh, when you lose, do you win? Here's the other part of this. Let's take a look at what has happened. Uh, And I guess you have to have more faith in the front office of the team that you're following. 
But w- the way this has gone on in Edmonton the last few years, look at all the premium draft choices, at least premium going in, maybe you don't think so now, right. that they have had and what have they managed to do with them. Absolutely nothing, really, to you know, paraphrase the old song, War. Uh, it just it just has not worked out for them. It is a large gamble uh, to uh, go after it in, in such a fashion, but they have made the decision. They are clearly going for it the way that I think they prepared the fan base. And as you said, I mean, throughout this is what you expected, and this there was no uh, hemming and hawing or saying that, uh, you know, it could be difficult, but it might be good. I never heard them say it might be good. And uh, what they have done to this point in time, uh, if they are not as assured as one could possibly be, if not McDavid to get Eichel, uh, I would be shocked. Yeah, you know, they the last home game, it yeah. was uh, very cold here, negative cold. Mm-hmm. And there was 19,000 people in the building. That's right. You know, uh, this has not been uh, a situation where the fan base has said, what are we doing here? Uh, it's very much been, uh, look at, you know, you, I always look back at July 1st, 2007. It's uh, it's the day the music died for Sabres fans. If uh, yeah. You know, that was the, you know, that, that day, I remember... I was at Art Park in the parking lot with my younger brother who plays hockey at Yale and some friends waiting to see the tragically hip. So it was a very uh it was a very buffalo day, you know, where we embrace our Canadian side of lovers of hockey and Canadian yep. music and things like that. And, and but it was also free agency. It day. was also the free agency day and as the day went on it was like, well maybe we can keep both. Well that's probably not going to happen. Well maybe we keep one and I think Drury fell first. Um, yes. It was, you know, Drury fell first. And it's like, well, now maybe we can still keep Briere. It was the opposite. I don't know. But it, it was a slow death where it was like one was early and then another one didn't come till 3.34 or 5. Or, and it was just – it was such an awful day. And it was really the – was really, it was really a day that I think can only be erased by finishing 30th this year and getting a generational player that they can – pair with the other center that they drafted in the top and it's almost like a new jury and briere a reinhardt and eichel or mcdavid which we often call mcichael here and, <laughs> it's uh, good to merge them into one person right, yeah it's like, like well we'll have you know we'll have reinhardt and mcichael you know which yeah. is all you know known as one of the two if you can you can finish 30th and uh you mentioned edmonton and that's a very fair thing to mention i know i have always said well they unfortunately in that period didn't get a, a generational player. They didn't get a Tavares or Correct. a Crosby or a you know. There's been a few of them uh, in the last 15 years, but they didn't get one of those drafts. And you know, I don't know that the the one thing that we all all talk about a lot here now is that there's never going to be a July 1st, 2007 again for a couple of reasons. One, no one's ever a free agent anymore, and for two. <laughs> We have an owner that is never going to let that happen ever again. And so it's sort of like, let's just build that up again, because if we get it again, we can keep it within the structure of the rules now with the salary cap and all that. We can we can do this. And uh, I don't know. I'm just behind it. And uh, but it's been really it's been divisive and it's been it's been tough for for some people in the media. And and what I said to, to Mike, and I think I got him to agree a little bit is, you know, 
you are sort of bound by professional obligation to invest in this team. And I don't mean money or I don't mean you're a fan, but you have to get down there every day and you have to be in that minutia and, and trying to write and, and watching what can be really bad at times, really bad. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think if you were in the situation where I am, where I can just kind of from a distance say, go ahead and lose. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily pay for it because – Eh, I don't have to. I've been to many games, and I'll be at many before. Maybe I'll go down there a couple times, and I have. Uh, but, um, you know, I can kind of get lost in my brother's senior season at Yale and and uh, occupy myself with other things. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, hopefully we finish 30th, and, you know, I'll enjoy this draft and see what GMTM is doing, which I, I like Murray a lot. I, I know he's not proven, but I, I like his attitude and his aggression, and I like that he's sort of the anti-Darcy, even though I didn't dislike Darcy, but I like the uh, idea that he's a very much polar opposite of him. Uh, and, yeah, he's, uh, he's very much proactive rather than right. reactive, yeah, and yeah, I think that's the yeah. big thing. Yeah, and it's not a knock on Darcy because I think he was very underrated. I think he did a lot of great things here. but And he was hamstrung. And he was. It, and you know what? He was great at it. I always said I thought he was one of the best uh, – short change GMs in the history of sports and what he wasn't great at was having a bigger wallet. And uh, you know, and part of that was maybe just because of there just wasn't as much available maybe in in a different day. Uh, yeah, let's face it. I yeah. mean the New York Rangers, best wallet in sports prior to the salary cap, and they spent all that money for seven straight years, didn't make the play. Didn't make it at all, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a t- it's a tough it's a tough balance. And maybe these guys just do their best when they're just being really creative hockey minds and just in there and uh and and that's where we can maybe get to Nashville because they've a, they've they're a team that you certainly don't think of as one with this unbelievable wallet by any means and they've built one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now and they've done it really smart and and I just I look all the time uh one of the biggest fans of this show who we we joke around about is a huge Caps fans and and I just think, man, they just got to be dying every time Forsberg gets another point, scores another goal. I mean, tell me about no. – tell me That's about, the curse of the Bambino as applied, I think, to hockey. Yeah, tell me about Forsberg a little bit and what it's been like to watch his development this year. When he came over in the trade in the spring two years ago, we didn't see this Philip Forsberg at all. We saw a far younger one. As a matter of fact, one who went back when that year was over and finished high school in Sweden after playing, wow. what, his uh, five or so games here. He spent all of last year basically in the American Hockey League getting acclimated to the smaller ice surface. And that year, I think, was huge for him. He did not dominate. You can take a look at the stats. But he did more than just tread water also. And then he comes into the – there was a prospects camp the Predators hosted here for Boston, Tampa, Florida, and themselves. And from the very first day, he was the guy who caught everybody's eye on the ice. Yes, Aaron Ekblad, and yes, Pasternak from the from the Boston Bruins. But he was the guy who was dominant from that point on. Physical maturity kicked in for him. And for fans in western New York, uh, I'm, I'm going to say there's more foot speed involved here, but he is so reminiscent to me of Dave Andrichuk. Hmm. No, he's not the big guy who stands in front of the net, but he's the guy who, once he gets a hold of the puck, it's difficult to get it away from him. He also... 
uh, on the forecheck probably forces more turnovers than anybody on this roster, and he has from the day they dropped the puck to start the season. That and the fact that he will shoot from anywhere at any time oftentimes catches goaltenders unaware. Now they might be more prepared for it, but he's still the guy that's leading the way for this team essentially offensively. Uh, defensively, it's obviously uh, Shea and the big shot and everything he brings. Is Are we really looking at someone who – uh, in a few years from now, or maybe we're already saying that this is one of the great defensemen of the generation, a guy that we're going to put you know, next to guys like Ray Bork and whoever else you want to name. I mean, he really is that kind of a talent, isn't he? Let's put it this way. I hope he doesn't have to get traded to win the Stanley Cup that Ray Bork did. Right. Uh, but he now let's also consider, in that 2003 NHL draft, he wasn't the Predators' top choice. He was, what, their second choice in the second round. He he was taken 49th overall. Uh, Ryan Suter went first, a guy who scored the game-winning goal last night uh, for the New York Rangers in that great comeback against the Islanders. Kevin Klein was ahead of him also. So that's rather uh, impressive, I think. Right, one of the best drafts ever, 2003. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Maybe maybe 2008 will approximate it. And who knows? I know Sabres fans are hoping, praying, lighting candles at the cathedral that this year's draft is along those lines. Right. Yeah, with all the ammunition we have in it. Uh, yeah, but that 2003 draft, which was the one that Marc-Andre Fleury was first, Eric Stahl was second, Vanek was fifth. Uh, like you said, uh, Suter was seventh for Nashville. And, and uh, what, around 20 was uh, uh, Zach Parisi? Yep, and the predators, were, the predators were dealing, trying to make a deal with New Jersey to get that draft choice. And later, the Predators also drafted on D that year, Alex Zoltzer. Wow. Yeah, what a draft. I mean, we haven't even named Je- uh, Jeff Carter, who's won some cups with the Kings, and Dion Phaneuf. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff was 19th pick in that draft. I have, I'm not this smart. I, I brought it up in front of me. Yeah, um, and Corey Perry was right toward the end of that. Corey Perry, draft. 28th. I mean, I mean... Wow, this is uh And I'd take the number 23 pick right now to flesh out the Predators roster. Ryan Kessler. Ryan Kessler. There we go. Tampering. Pete Weber. Okay. <laughs> is that uh, – well, that's the thing. Around this time when you got this kind of a team, it's like what is the move we're going to make? What's the tweak we're going to make? Um, is that the talk of that kind of a player? And maybe not that guy per se, but is that what we're looking for, a center like that? Um, Actually, I think David Poyle is done. He's done. Uh, okay. From what he said – uh, Monday night, uh, after the the deals were done, announced, and all of that, uh, unless somebody were to, unless number one, I guess I should say, unless there's an injury that forces another sort of move in the next couple of weeks, or let's just say, and I've thrown this out there for others, should Jimmy Rutherford get up at four o'clock in the morning and call David Poyle and say, you know, I could really use a fifth round draft choice this year, and David just says, hey, okay, how about Sidney Crosby? And Jimmy <laughs> says, yes, yeah, yeah, but I think I think pretty much the Predators are done dealing right now. Okay, well, it's a first place team in their division. Uh, we talked about Forsberg with fifty nine points. Uh, what else makes this team special? Uh, w- w- what is it about uh, the Nashville Predators team who, correct me if I'm wrong, was not in the playoffs last year, right? Last two years, not in the playoffs. Right. So what is it about this team that is... Uh... This club, it, it seems like they are never out of it. They can be... Down, now, obviously, you go down three goals or something. That's happened, what, twice this year, four goals a couple of times. They don't come back from those. But they are second only 
uh, to the Islanders in giving up the first goal of the game and coming back to win. We talk in the past about the Predators would get their scoring by committee. Well, they have a rather large uh, committee right now of uh, contributors. Mike Ribeiro, James Neal, Colin Wilson, Craig Smith, Philip Forsberg, whom we've talked about at length. And this is before we get to the defensive contribution, which has recently surpassed that of the Calgary Flames. But Mike Fisher is quite the story. Uh, Many of the moves that were made uh, in July were made because of his having blown out his Achilles tendon the first week of July in off-season workouts. So then they they made their trials there going after uh, people like Mike Ribeiro, probably because one of the motivational factors was, yeah, it's a make-good deal for him, but he'd already had uh, good chemistry with James Neal when they were together in Dallas. Ole Jokinen was signed to and subsequently sent off in this deal this week to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, so that's what they were trying to do because of Mike Fisher's injury. So what happens? Fisher comes back end of November, he lights a fire under Colin Wilson, who previously was just the man who carried that curse of the word potential and had not yet realized it. This year, he is realizing it. Mike Fisher also ends up playing the role that Patrick Hornquist played here for many years, the man in front of the net on the power play. He has helped the power play jump up about six percentage points since he's returned, and he's done similarly with the penalty kill. The penalty kill started off the year as porous as as one could be. I remember an old Buffalo Bill, uh, Bruce Smith, the Hall of Famer, talking about how, well, that's that's in the past tense now. That's like water under the dam. I say, when it's water under the dam, Bruce, it becomes a bridge. But uh, we'll work on that a little bit later on. Uh, But that's the impact that so many have had. And I've not mentioned the defenseman yet. Uh, Roman Yossi and Shea Weber are as good a pairing as any in the league right now. 80 Seth points. Jones is coming on, too. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Seth Jones. That's actually the next thing is uh, tell me about Seth Jones. You know, uh, one of the one of the guys who led a U.S. Uh, World Junior team to a gold medal and uh, a guy who I thought was a sure first-round pick and not that – or first overall pick and not yeah. that uh, Nate McKinnon obviously has been has been fantastic. I was amazing as a, such a young kid last year. But uh, tell yeah. me about Seth Jones, and it's still a very, very young guy, but he's played 56 games. That's got to be just about all of them, right, if not all yes, of them? Yes, he has not missed any. He yeah. is a uh, He's a kid who – Early in his career here, uh, and excuse me in the background, one of our uh, automatic devices in the house. Oh, that's off, fine. So I, yeah. I apologize no for problem. that. But uh, Seth Jones got pressed into duty in his first week in the NHL as Shea Weber's partner. So we had to move from right side to left side. Roman Yossi had been concussed in it by Steve Downey in a game in Denver in the second game of the year. And so Seth Jones just fits into that like it's absolutely nothing. This year, he got off to a bit of a slow start. And then, of course, that term sophomore jinx comes up. Mm. I just think he was a little bit more tentative playing in a new system with a new coach, with Peter Laviolette. They want him to take the puck and go with it. He's been doing that since the turn of the calendar to 2015, and you can really tell the difference in his game thereafter. Uh, And the other young defenseman that he was paired with quite a bit, Matthias Eckholm, is another one who really began to mature this year. 
Twitter. He's a guy, I'm going to call him Yossi2, if you will, or, or Yossi.2, version 2, whatever you wish. He carries the puck almost as well as Roman Yossi. Roman is a very, very special player. And now the team is awaiting Ryan Ellis coming back from a uh, lower body injury, suffered, uh, what, two weeks before the All-Star break. But already to step back in the lineup, as long as the immigration papers are completed, is Cody Franson, who uh, returns to the Predators from uh, time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Does Paul Gostad have a role on this team? Is he, uh, the biggest. The biggest, The yeah. biggest. He is the center of the fourth line. He and Eric Nystrom are the first penalty kill pair. Yeah, Mike Fisher and Callie Yarncroke are the second. And Gostad, you know, if we want to get in the analytics, he is out there for every critical faceoff yeah. in the D zone. Yeah, no surprise. He is a great faceoff guy here, too. And a switch faceoff guy. You don't see too many of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great to hear. Is Peke Rene a Stanley Cup goalie, do you think? Yes, I do. I also think he's the Hart Trophy. He and Carey Price are doing that this year. I think one or two of them are going to win both. Probably would sweep Hart Trophy as MVP and the Vesna as top goaltender. Yeah, that's unbelievable, huh? To have, a, to, the to have two of them, yeah. yeah. The seasons that they're having. And I think Carey Price plays the hardest position in all of sports. To be a goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens is yeah. unbelievable. And to do it as young as he did, and they tried to break him. I mean, maybe not intentionally, but I no. don't know if you remember that first playoff run he had oh, yes. with them and just the pressure and how young he was. And, I mean, I, I have Give him hell for not being Ken Dryden or, you know, yeah, you're not, or Yeah, or Patrick Wilde. You just you yeah. can never be uh, good enough for them, maybe. But, man, is he great. And you think, uh, Peke Rene, is this uh, – this is this is the finally like everything coming together for him kind of year. I mean, he's been the goalie yes. there for quite a while. This is kind of the sticking with the guy and 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 really believing him and finally getting to see it all sort of come together in this kind of a season. Well, I thought two years or three years ago, the last full season uh, was similar for him. Then, of course, he had the uh, infection that set in last year after the hip operation, and that kept him out for 51 games. But if you take a look at his numbers, you'll see that he's pretty much been performing at this level for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Nashville. How has the uh, market, not necessarily the traditional market, but uh, what kind of buzz is the team getting uh, for for the Preds right now with the success they're having and and sort of the goals that I'm sure they're starting to set for the team. Uh, how's the market uh, taking to them? All I can say is wherever I walk into a store or some other establishment, people immediately come up to me and want to start talking hockey. And I think that's the best measure uh, from what we have seen from the beginning uh, in the fall of 1998 to now. And actually, it's kind of been this way. There was an interruption, but when the team had the 110-point season in 2006-2007, which followed on the heels of a 106-point season and had Koreas and Arnott's and Dumont's and uh, Tiemann and Hartnell and, and Thomas Focoon being the guy in goal, it was that way at that point, too. But then when the team was stripped bare, essentially, and then sold in the summer of 2007, it has taken until just about now to build it back up. Yeah, that's, they're a little ahead of the Sabres, obviously, a lot ahead of the Sabres, but similar in the sense that they were really good in the top of the league around the same time and, you know, tor- yeah. then, then torn down, you know. Just and, never got called for delay of game for shooting the puck over the glass, that's uh, all. Brian Campbell, devastating. That's, uh, you know. I, Tell my man, when I see, when we see the Panthers, Brian Campbell and I sit down and talk Buffalo Bills football. That sounds fun. I mean, I'm not, you know, that that's amazing. Brian Campbell is such a great Buffalo hockey player, and, uh, he, 
he was like the last guy standing in that game seven, just about, you know, Jamie sure. key, Jamie key got a staff infection that day from something that happened in the Ottawa series where Dimitri yep. Kleenan had also been hurt. Every time they won a game in that conference finals, they lost a defenseman. Yeah. That's just not right. Right. That, every that, single much time. Formula. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one. Um, it was uh Talinder broken arm. Uh, then Ludman, I think was next. And then when they got the third win and you you got all that emotion off the Breer, the Breer, I wish you could have been there, Pete. Walking. That's what Nathan Page got called up, right? Yeah, uh, Page Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, it was. Uh, it was. I mean, you're you're looking at organizationally your 12th and 13th defenseman playing meaningful minutes in a conference final, game yeah. seven. And and I wish you could have been there because you would have loved it being a guy who loves this area. Walking out of the first Niagara Center after uh, after Danny Breer scored the game six overtime goal was one of the best Buffalo moments of my life. Just, you got to go down those, I was in the 300 level, and you go down the two escalators into the great, beautiful, uh, I don't know what you call it. Um, atrium. Atrium, yeah, that's the word. And and just the energy and the emotion, it was unbelievable. And we're going to get back there again someday because it's such a great market, and I believe in the people here. But, yeah. There's and- no better market, no more fervent fan base for football, for hockey, for baseball, for college basketball, and I honestly believe this, than Buffalo, New York, and Western New York. Well, I'm glad to hear that Nashville is really loving this team and enjoying this ride. Let me ask you this, because uh, in the playoffs, it's often about matchups. Is there yes. a team that that really, one of the top teams, Like, is, is it like, well, we'd like to see Chicago because we match up well, but we'd rather avoid... I'm just pulling teams out of my hat. I don't know the answer. I'm we went you. through this in those 06 and 07 seasons I referred to earlier. The exact bad matchup resulted in first-round losses both years to San Jose. San Jose, yeah. With this club, the team they've had the most trouble with so far, they've only played two of the three games against Anaheim, but they've come away with just one point in those two games. So I'm going to be very curious to see what Bob Murray does to bolster his lineup as we come nearer the trade deadline. So if it was a conference final, you'd rather see Pat Kane in Chicago than Gutslaff in Anaheim, is what I'm. Well, I prefer Edmonton, actually. <laughs> you prefer Edmonton? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a great. Oh, that's as you say that. It's another devastating thing about losing that game seven. It was it was an eighth place Anaheim waiting in the Stanley Cup Finals for whoever yes, won sir. that game. Yes, sir. Ugh. Uh, you know, we talked about a great Sabres playoff moment. I think I asked you about this one of the other times, but take me back to the. There's a great uh, the Nash when I think of the Nashville Predators and and great moments in a in a brief history that they've had obviously in the NHL but I think of the playoff game against Detroit where they were just out of that game and not going to win it and then they scored and they scored again and scored again and and yep. ultimately won that game take me through that again real quick tell me about that great Nashville Predators moment for fans of the podcast who don't know that they've had a great unbelievable moment like that well, I, you know actually in many ways the most unbelievable moment was winning their first ever playoff series in 2011 against Anaheim mm. and and that was a team that had frustrated them so much throughout the course of the year but they were able to shake hands here, say goodbye to the Ducks. And then 2012, I think the passing of the torch was the picture I still have here in my office at home. And that's the shaking hands of the two captains, Nick Lidstrom, who walked off the NHL ice for the last time that night, and Predators captain Shea Weber. I mean, moments like that are something you just can't forget. But the playoff moment I'm never going to forget, it was, excuse me, in 1997. I'm getting choked up already. Listen. I like it. 
Derek Plant scoring the only Game 7 winner. I was there, in, yeah. In Sabres history, going against Ron Tugnut and the Ottawa Senators. And that was uh, one I cannot ever forget. That was one that, uh, number one, Tugnut did get a little piece of it. That was the night, too, on the face-off with Alex Yashin that uh, Derek took a swipe at the puck, and it just sort of fluttered over Yashin's shoulder, past Tugnut, into the net, and then the Sabres go on to win that game. Let me see. It was Galley and Barnaby with the assists on Derek Plant and the game winner that Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I, that was amazing. Just I, I was sitting. I remember one or two of my friends got into the game with a Game 5 ticket. That was pre-scanners. Um, so we were like fitting six into five or something like that. And I remember the whole overtime with the last row of the three hundreds, I was sitting on the step of the top of the three hundreds and almost could barely see it. Cause it was all the way at the other end. But my number one Sabres, uh, playoff moment or whatever, and maybe it's just cause he's my guy and, uh, is the Drury 7.7 seconds to go goal against the Rangers. And I guess that was the 2000, that was the president's trophy year. Second round of the playoffs, game five. We would have went back to Madison Square Garden down 3-2 if Jury doesn't save the the game in the season with that goal. After an icing, uh, which gave them a favorable face-off matchup uh, down on the right side of the goalie, and Jury won the draw, took a couple guys out, went around the net, and he shot that puck through Thomas Vanek and uh, into the net. I, I think it's the best Sabres moments of all time just because of everything that surrounded it but uh I don't know Pete I hope that Nashville knows they got a legend and a treasure in you out there calling those games thank you you're my agent now let's let's I would be I would absolutely sign up for that you need representation (laughs) you just let me know I don't have the legal background you might want in an agent but uh uh there's no doubt it's been an honor to have you as a friend of the show so thank you so much for that and thank you for taking so much time on a game day and uh, maybe just as a last thought, is there anything uh, specific about um, about uh, the Predators or anything like that that you want to mention that I didn't cover? Anything I missed? I'm trying Predators to think what you could have possibly should... have missed in all of that. Uh, now, <clears throat> I think, excuse me, I think that, uh, <clears throat> again, you're choking me. Excuse me there. But, no, I, I think we have pretty well covered everything, unless I possibly maybe a little bit overlooked Roman Yossi because I think he plays. He uh, has taken over as Robin to Shea Weber's Batman, the role that uh, Ryan Suter played here and played so well. And that's not easy to do either, to be no. to be that other guy. Uh, and I, I, I honestly I haven't known that much about him, but, I mean, a guy who's from Switzerland, right? Yes. Yeah, Switzerland. As a matter of fact, uh, two blocks from his house is the rink in Switzerland. And when he finished up his playing career, J.P. Dumont was there in Roman Yossi's hometown of Bern, Switzerland. Wow, unbelievable. How about that? All these Sabres ties to this Predators team, huh? Well, uh, okay, when uh, Rip Simonic went into the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame this last fall. Yeah, another Buffalo legend for sure. Yeah, yeah. Derek Roy, who was here at that time, Paul Gostad. Jerry Helper in our front office, Brent Peterson, myself, and uh, on the equipment staff, Pete Rogers and Jeff Alfiero, both from Rochester Amherst days, we all contributed to a big pot to send uh, to send Rip a gift. That's how close we still feel with everybody. Have you have you been able to to take a look at what things look like? I can't remember if Nashville's been here or not yet this year. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, we will be there Sunday, oh, Sunday yeah. afternoon. Oh. Uh, after we have a back-to-back this weekend, afternoon, uh, Philadelphia on Saturday, and Sunday evening in Buffalo. So I'm very much looking forward to coming back. Where do you get a look at this Harbor Center and the work down there? And how I saw a little bit of that this summer yeah. I, when I was back for baseball. Oh, and it's even better now with the buzz, with the tournaments going on there. You know, you got Canisius College games. You know, the top youth tournaments in the country. I just read they put a bid in for another World Junior, which would be so great. Uh, they wouldn't yeah. have to go out to Niagara for it this time. They could do games right at Harbor Center and then games there. Uh, well, they had a pretty good crowd for the opener with Ohio State, right? The tie? Yeah, oh, that was a packed house. Uh, Corey Conacher's brother scored the first yeah. goal. Uh, of the game. So really just great stuff happening here and obviously great stuff happening for hockey and national. Now that clip you sent me, is that, is that you on the call with, uh, yes, it is. now how do I see that? I'd love to play that before we let you go. Um, oh, you can, but with the magic of editing and software, yeah, I'm I'll sure just sort of throw it in there and make sure everyone can hear that. But, uh, listen, I, I, I would feel terrible to keep even one more second. So I want to let you go. I know you have a game tonight. Thank you so much for all this time and the, just a great, fun hockey conversation. I think we're going to get Kenny Albert in here as well to give us an Eastern Conference perspective from a top team like the Rangers. You know, he has a uh, special perspective, though. He also can tell you a lot about the coach of the Washington Capitals. They were roommates with the Baltimore Skipjacks. Yeah, oh, wow, all the way back to the Skipjacks. That was, I think, his first gig, wasn't it? The Skipjacks? Yes. Yeah. yes, it was. Wow, unbelievable. Well, thank you so much, Pete. And, uh, you're at Pete Weber Sports, I believe, on Twitter, if people want yes, to follow sir. you there. And uh, you'll be calling the Nashville Predators. You're the TV play-by-play, correct? TV, correct. So what happens? You get the first round no matter what. You can do that, right, in playoffs? Well, not necessarily not guaranteed. Not NBC guaranteed. can do exclusives okay. that would squeeze us out. But then uh, if they advance, I am done unless they decide to put me on radio for the, uh, po- the postseason. You guys don't? Uh, simulcast radio you have different no. teams now the only simulcasts are the sabers and the dallas stars really is it that few yes oh i'm surprised by that i don't know why i'm surprised by that but oh yeah i guess when you got a guy like rick generat although we're not gonna have him much longer another treasure a uh, definite treasure and yeah. phil housley talks about he's on our coaching staff here he talks a lot about rick all right well thank you pete uh we'll talk to you again uh maybe when the Predators advance past that first round, you have a little bit more time on your hands. Um, uh, we can talk to you about what this team might do in the playoffs here. Would love to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Galley off the wall, tipped out by Barnaby. Now Duchesne. His pass deflected away. Comes to Derek Plant on the right wing. The shot. Derek Plant scores! And the Sabres move on to round number two. 3 2 in overtime at 524. Oh, yes, here come the Flyers. All right, I want to thank all the guests for being on the show today, whoever that may have been. Yeah, guests. Really appreciate everyone's time. Always do. Don't forget you can find this episode and every episode of the Sportscasters on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can tweet us at sports underscore casters or at downlink sports. And you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. One last thing for the show today. Jimmy Trena and I talked a lot last week about our love for the Howard Stern Show. And I also mentioned to him, uh, what do you think of the uh, Opie show? Uh, 
now the Opie and Jimmy show, former the Opie and Anthony show, and mm-hmm. he sort of mentioned, you know, he he's never listened to it. He didn't say he didn't like it or had any issue with it. Just kind of said, I just was he an Opie and Anthony fan? No, oh, just okay. never. You know, just never really heard the show. And uh, I was like that for a long time. I, I'd often sort of say to people, why would I listen to the Open Anthony show when I could just listen to uh, what they're trying to be? Right. And I mean, that's a hornet on your thing here, but you almost felt compelled as a fan of either. And it's kind yeah. of typically whatever one you were with first. You almost felt like you had to actively avoid the other one. That was stupid. It was. I was stupid. When I, I regret saying that. And um, this is what I'll say. Uh, Howard Stern is the reason I know how stupid that is because he stopped doing his show full time. Really, mm-hmm. he basically does his show part time now. And I love, first of all, I love listening to radio, and uh, I needed more content than he was offering. Uh, so I thought, eh, let me check that other show out on here uh, that I pay for this content anyway. Right. Uh, so let me check this out. And I really got to enjoy uh, what Opie and Anthony did. And what I enjoyed most about it were the things that they did that didn't happen on the Howard Stern show. Sure, there were some similarities, but listen, it's radio. There's going to be similarities in all radio shows. Never did I get the impression. Now, this wasn't 1995 when I was listening. Maybe in 1995, in the in the heat of the shock jock era, I may have... Uh, one way or another, if I was a fan of either show, thought that either show was too much like the other. Uh, but when you join in 2012 or 2013 like I did, uh, that stuff is, is gone. And it's been an interesting m- couple of months and years for the Opie and Anthony show. And I want to bring this up because a few things. John, Stuttering John from the Howard Stern show last week was on three shows that I listened to that aren't Howard Stern. He was on the Anthony Cumia show. He was on Opie and Jimmy, and he was on Artie Lang's show as well. And on all three of those shows, he made sure to mention that he had reached out to Baba Bui to say that he was in town doing shows to promote whatever it is he's promoting, which still isn't clear after hearing him on all those shows. didn't sound like he had a whole lot going on. Uh, but he was basically told it's a different show, and they weren't interested in him. Wow. Which is, you know, part of what I don't like about the Howard Stern show. Of course, after all these years, you should have Stuttering John back on one day. Right. Uh, to have him in that environment again. Have they had Jackie back on? They have had Jackie. They have, okay. Uh, but they haven't had Artie, and now they haven't had Stuttering John. Stuttering John. They have oh. had Casey, I think, has called in a few times. Uh, I think very Howard very much likes Casey. And, and Casey didn't go on to do anything else. He left because he was a mess and kind of just couldn't keep the job. It wasn't like he left because he was underpaid. Maybe like you could argue Stuttering John was and went for a really high salary job at Tonight Tonight Show. Who was the guy that was Howard's hairdresser back in the E-Days? That's Ralph, and he's Gone. tied to Howard at the waist and will never really well, okay. leave Howard's side. Ralph is very much and, – and Ralph has a great job, I know, with uh, Howard's uh, America's Got Talent side. Oh, okay. It's paid for them to do his clothing and his work there and picks oh, wow. out his clothes. I mean, so he's very much yeah, a part of him. Howard. But uh, the one thing – a couple things that uh, – listening to Stuttering John and these other shows uh, made me think of. One was, it's a real shame that Opie and Anthony are sort of airing out their grievance through Stuttering John instead of with each other. Yeah. It's a bummer. Uh, But today on the show, one of the guests 
was Larry King, who had no idea that Anthony Cumia was fired and very much thought he was appearing on the Opie and Anthony show. Oh, okay. Uh, when he found out he wasn't, he hijacked that show and an grilled Opie. Wow. And absolutely flipped Opie up upside down. And really, I thought more than anyone contributed to what might be the end of the silence between Opie and Anthony specifically. Both guys have talked, I think, very honestly about how they feel about what happened in July. Uh But they haven't done it together. Right. Jim Norton has done it with Anthony. Uh, Jim Norton, who showed an unbelievable side of his character through all this. Uh, really trying to bridge the gap between the two. Uh, as he said today on the show, not getting his name on the show because he never wanted to fill Anthony's shoes. He's loyal, and he either wanted to be on the Opie and Anthony show or he just wanted to be on the Opie show. Okay. He didn't want it to be the Opie and Jimmy show. Uh, but if you have a chance to listen to what Larry King uh, did with Opie today, it's very compelling radio, and uh, it very much, I think, went a long way in hopefully ending uh, the separation between these guys because in the end... Uh, the chemistry that they have on radio, it's great. It's one of the all-time great radio shows uh, on the weekends. They're a decade of dominance show, which is basically just a highlight show of the 10 years they did together at SiriusXM. And my hope, and I think everyone's hope, is that someday, somehow, uh, those guys are doing some form of radio again together. Whether it's appearing on each other's shows now and again, uh, or... It's doing something more formal together. Whatever it is, you just you want to see those guys together again because they really are like Howard and Robin, a pair of radio giants who together will always do better radio than they could ever do apart. And uh, it's been really interesting to see how other people uh, seem to be bridging that gap, the Stuttering Johns and Larry King of the world. Yeah. And it's been really interesting and, and really cool to watch. So uh, here's to hoping that we the last chapter of – Opie and Anthony hasn't been written. Yeah, I, I mean, I know this is already getting long, and this part's usually shorter, but uh, I don't know. We talked about this last week, that you're going to get a lot of us on these podcasts between the basketball and hockey playoffs starting here. But uh, yeah, I think it's like when you watch a rock band, you just expect that they're all best friends. And even on a radio show, it's even more personal because it's their, it's their words. They're not playing music. They're not doing something like necessarily in sync like a band might be. Uh I get the impression that a lot of it was Opie, but then like once the split happened, I don't feel like Anthony made a lot of effort to really reconnect with the guys. Like he didn't go to some comedy charity event because, and he's a kind of admitted he's afraid of Bill Burr, uh, what Bill Burr thinks about him. Uh, but yeah, it's weird because you just these buddies talk on the radio and laugh, and you think your friends like with them almost. And, and that's a big topic of what went down in there today. Opie made that point really well, and the Bill Burr thing uh, is actually where Anthony stepped in and said, "Stop! It's not Opie's fault." And I think Opie seeing that on Twitter. Oh, Opie's getting it from Bill too. No, he's getting it from the fans who were mad last week. That Anthony wasn't at the Patrice benefit. It's the third benefit. Oh, okay. Opie and Anthony had introduced the comedians at the beginning of the last two. Right, right. For some reason, something in the relationship between Anthony and Bill had broken down. Well, I think I think the last straw. Bill Burr is married to a black woman, so I think he thinks 
I think Anthony thinks. I don't know what Bill Burr thinks about it. I used to listen to his podcast. I don't. I'm guessing it never came up because you, you would have heard about it. But I'm guessing Anthony is afraid that Bill hates him because of the rants he went on. But apparently they just need to talk. And yeah. I think by the next. It's good soap opera. Yeah, it's great. And it's interesting radio. And uh, like I said, hopefully there is another chapter in the, yeah. the Opie and Anthony. Totally agree. Uh, my last thing will be much shorter than that. It's kind of two things because uh, both of them will be very short. Do you use time hop? I do, yes. Yeah, I use it too. I don't post it a lot because it feels a little bit uh, self-indulgent or like masturbatory to repost the stuff that you posted a, a few years ago. Sometimes it's cool stuff that pops back up. It's worth posting. But uh, do you find that it's all sports-related because of what you do with the show? Often. Yeah, so, I mean, you get a little bit of that. But it's a, it's a cool program. I'm not breaking any new grounds. But I finally uh, got on the Time Hop bandwagon and uh, – like I told my friends on Facebook, I said I'm hilarious, so I want to see what I, you are. Yeah. What I wrote a year ago or five years ago. Uh, and my last last thing is uh, my favorite person in the whole world turned three on the 13th. She is hysterical. Uh, she is super loving. She just she cracks me up more than any comedian ever has, and I'm sure a lot of dads and stuff say that. But she is the most unintentionally funny person. I've ever met, and I love her very much. So happy birthday, Molly. I know you're not listening to this podcast, but uh just want that Hopefully out. Ryan isn't listening. No, he – Because he's no better than second place He's got to earn it. He does, he's yeah. He's got to earn it. He has, <laughs> he's, he's funny. He's You know what? He's the happiest little kid in the world that takes nothing to make him smile, and he sleeps good. So, like, he's checked just two huge. important boxes right, yeah. uh, a three-month-old can right. check so far. But – uh yeah, he's got to earn it right now. Molly, Molly's the uh, my favorite person in the world. Who do you so. think will listen to an episode of the show first, Ryan or Whew. Molly? Uh, it's not. We do curse occasionally, but it's not like I would necessarily filter it from that. No, it's you very, It's, it's ra- not inappropriate. Rarely. No, yeah. there might be an episode where you might steer them away from, but generally speaking, they could right based on yeah. come in any time, and it would be cool to hear Daddy or whatever. I don't know that I would push it on either of them, so. I guess it would depend on the guest, maybe. Because I'm thinking this has got to be like when they're eight, nine years I old. I think anyway. you're looking at it the wrong way. I think the way it'll go down is, I think it'll be Molly, and here's why. Because I think in the next couple of years, assuming this show goes on, uh-huh. she's going to want to know where, why Dad comes Isn't home, home so late on Tuesdays, <laughs> yeah. and you'll sit down and explain to her that you do this show now. Kids are so advanced when it comes to computers and technology. Sure. She's going to know what that means uh, right. more than a kid oh, yeah. 10 oh, yeah. years ago would. And she's going to want to hear uh, what dad does and what dad sounds like on there. Yeah, that's probably She true. might drop in two and a half minutes. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to be, wow, I really got to hear what dad had to say to uh, to James Andrew Miller about Saturday Night Live. Right. I think it's just going to be, I want to hear what doing. daddy's doing on there and – and, you know, oh, by the way, you might even say, okay, why don't you hear it? And dad will talk to you on it next week. And then you'll come on the next <laughs> week and you'll say, yeah. Molly's going to want to listen. And hi, Molly. And we'll talk about it for a minute. She'll hear it. She'll love it. And then you'll move on. Yeah. Maybe we make her uh, – we've made – I say made, but uh, we've had your mom come on before. Maybe Molly can uh, – Yeah, she can be on we'll, anytime. We'll get her a phone or Relatives something. are welcome anytime. <laughs> All right, Molly. Love you. Happy birthday.